Good people of Los Angeles and those on digital screens the world over, tonight we've got a very, very special holiday cheer episode, something to warm your belly, warm your heart, warm your mind, warm your throat. I don't know. How about warm your brain? Because this guy's about to melt your face with the most cold, hard whiskey facts you've ever imagined much less actually learned i mean i went to this is you're talking to a guy who's been to the jameson distillery you're talking to a guy who's done alcohol tastings before none of that compared to what we went through tonight this very special episode of fcfc is basically co-piloted if not outright taking the ship over it's jonathan reimer from the shoulder to shoulder podcast boozeology as you might know him in his online persona he was kind enough to mail us. That's right. During the pandemic, during the holiday season, during the crazy mail, he mailed us express eight samples of whiskey that we're going to get into. We're going to learn more about whiskey than, again, you could ever imagine uh, two scholars and a dickhead could ever learn during a single podcast. And man, uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The descriptions of the liquor are in the description. I highly recommend you go out and get something at least similar to what we drink on this pod and drink it along with us because this is a hell of a way to spend some night of your quarantine holiday. Uh, Whether you're in good spirits or bad spirits, this spirit guide, Jonathan, is going to take you on a journey and we went on one. Slim, do you want to hit him with the warning? Ladies and gentlemen, we're all at home, ain't got nowhere to go. So we're a little frustrated, so the profanity might be flying a little heavy today. So if you're at home or around children, somewhere you shouldn't be listening to profanity, this is probably a good time to stop listening. Can I do something I've never done on a podcast before? Yes, please. Fuck! Yes! (laughs) FCFC. FCFC pod where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. Oh my god, it's your favorite fat Korean. It's your boy Slim. Sitting under me is the bearded one, the beautiful bearded one, looking like Jesus in in a Chinese, like super crouching tiger hidden dragon movie in the bamboo. Is big dweez. No matter what they tell you, it's never as fun the second time around. <laughs> Fuck you. And sitting next to me is the sexy one, Josh Sexy Spice. Hello, YouTube. Like and subscribe. <laughs> and a very special guest this evening on the interwebs. The golden voice of the North End. One third of shoulder to shoulder podcasts of the pod family. And... The reason we have him on today is because the way Dweez loves tea is the way this gentleman loves alcohol. And if there's anything we know about patrons of the North End is that we enjoy our alcohol. Not in a classy way like this gentleman, but we still enjoy our alcohol. Mr. Jonathan Boozology Raymer is on the screen with us today. How you doing, brother? 
Oh, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you so much. What an honor it is to be on this show. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show. I think it's, it's a very important thing that you guys create for us. I mean, within the, uh, you know, sort of intellectual arena of the entire culture war that LAFC fights, this show is such an important piece of that. And frankly, one of the most important things to really come out of the LAFC community. Uh, is this show. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. But moreover, thank you for bringing this content week in, week out, because it is gold. Hey, did he just like out intro me like Dude, on our I, intro? I think he out introed all of our intros combined. Yo, I, I'm a piece Fuck. of shit. Why are you, yeah. so, uh, you know what it is too, is we're all really bad with flattery, but thank you very much. I was no, about to no, say, buy me a drink first, but you sent us many, many things as a precursor to what we're talking about. But yeah, thank you so much. Dude, what the hell? I'm... I'm like blushing here, dude. Thank you so much. That means a lot. No, I really, um, this show is, uh, it's such an awesome slice of the LAFC community. It speaks to so much and yet so very little to soccer and yet finds a way to be so important within that community. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. Keep doing it. Awesome, man. Appreciate that. Um, Dweez, I don't, I, usually on special episodes like this, you switch up the first question. I don't know what you're going to do right now, bro. I don't know what I'm going to do either. I have eight vials of alcohol sitting in front of me, which we're going to get into here in a second. But I think the most apt question, it's got to be, do you remember your first drink? Uh, the answer is no, but there is photographic evidence of it to prove it. Um, so I, I do have it. It is available on my Instagram feed. If you're willing to creep back a few years, maybe I'm not exactly sure how far back it is, but uh, it was at the whopping age of one years old. Um, and it was a can of Coors original. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, my family thought it would be funny to give me a can of beer and have me pose for a picture with it. And I immediately took a long drink out of it. And uh, I suppose as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> Wait, I, wait, wait, Slim, do you have any baby pictures with beers or Josh? I feel like this might be a white person thing because I definitely have one and I feel like most white people I know have a beer picture. Let's same thing. Like, ah, it's going to be funny. Give him, give him a can. Take a picture with him. Like, snap. No, B, like taking a picture with an Oreo was dangerous enough for, for me and my family. So the, the beer was, was not in our jurisdiction there. Yeah, the, the Christian household, like, you know, they lay low. Like, my, like, Back in the day when my pops would be drinking alcohol at the restaurants, even like, you know, soju, he would have them pour the soju in a water cup, like so that people nice. wouldn't know that he's drinking soju. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The, 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 them Dasani water bottles come in real clutch at, in the restaurant, dude. Let me just say that. Well, I'm going like to the... go ahead. I was going to say, I, the first time I actually do remember drinking something, I was a little bit older than that. I was like three or four years old. And I just remember this bottle of Corona with a lime floating in it, sitting on a counter and thinking, wow, that looks delicious. Having no concept of what was inside or what it was or any of that. And just taking a drink of my mother freaking out and running in the room and grabbing it from me and just being hysterical that I'd taken a drink and not understanding at all why that was a bad thing. But This is the woman who posed you with a beer as a child. And now she's like, <laughs> it's come full circle. My, the fruit of my labor. This is, this is what it looks like. Yeah, it's very, my parents were very strict about alcohol, though it was they would never allow us to have it, which, of course, made it all the more enticing. So it's more ironic that the photo exists um, because thereafter, yeah, it was never something that was um, on, on extremely rare occasion. Was it ever permitted to have like one or two sips? But that was it. It was not something that was very prevalent around my childhood. 
Tweez, Josh, do you guys remember your first drinks? Yes. I mean, I remember the first time, like, drinking as recreation. Oh, okay. I have one for recreation and one on accident. I think I, you should share first. Well, yeah. uh, so I think I was like seven or eight and I was at my neighbor across the street's place and they were having like, you know, just a little backyard barbecue type deal and they had box wine, but it was pink flake, pink colored, right? So I thought it was like a sparkling punch type deal. So I like got grabbed a little bit of that and then I took a little sip of it and I did like that was terrible 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 like I, I did thought alcohol was disgusting and I thought older people were disgusting for drinking it and then I think when I was like 16 or 15 some of my older homies had some southern like a bottle of southern comfort and we were just sitting at a circle in a park passing it around with a, a Dr. Pepper just you know just being real classy about it and, and then two of my friends just Damn, getting shit pepper yeah dr comfort bro dr comfort over there. Yeah. Oh. um and yeah i remember my friends just getting shit faced and two of them just like standing across from each other and making bruce lee noises for like 30 minutes it was ridiculous spice man 5000 what was your first recreational booze memory um I, my friends were over and uh, my dad was like hooking for us barbecue style and i think weirdly enough i think he just was like having like a weird day or a funny day and just wanted to like laugh and like he like poured in um like a bottle of blue moon into our iced tea and like spiked it and so i was like we're like this is obviously i mean it tastes like shit right and so we're just like this is obviously not it but all of us felt cool because we had alcohol for the first time and um yeah that was a strange thing doug i'll, I'll have to ask him why he did that um after that he came home already drunk yeah and he's like (laughs) fucking kids back over here (laughs) no dumbasses they're not even know hit him (laughs) yeah no outside of that it's like i think all of us i mean we're just trying to be like rappers you know and so we just picked up a 40 ounce from like like, (laughs) we're just trying to be (laughs) i didn't see hear that pivot coming (laughs) yeah when we were like you guys have 40s in on the east coast like that yeah like i mean it was just like we Every liquor store that would sell to minors, which is, you know, the worst liquor stores in the fucking world, you know, They're the run best. by some mobsters. Yeah. <laughs> um, they would, we, we just be drinking old English. I think we probably, uh, I'm not sure what, where we got that from, but we were like 13 or 12, like in the park, just drinking forties, sharing that shit. Um, I that's like what I remember from it. It was more of a West coast thing. <laughs> tall, tall boys would be more your guys' thing. Cause it's like easier to walk around with. Honestly, you're not supposed to be drinking anywhere. Like as Sam well knows, like you can't drink anywhere on them streets, you know, in New York. So like they'll like slap it out of your hands as he as as it happened to him. So I don't know. It's either you're at like a safe park or you're just not really walking and drinking. Yeah. Dweez, how about Makes you? Sense. I tried to keep adult dangers at a distance when I was in high school. You know what I mean? I just I you know what I grew up in between, as people know, uh, LA and Utah and Southern, so it's so tall. And it just was like, it just wasn't the type of environment, especially there that made you want to partake in such activities. And I was just trying to get out of, get out of Dodge. So I waited really long, but by the time one of my homies went to the same school I ended up going to, which is LMU, Loyola Marymount over by the airport. 
he brought back some alcohol from college and he was like, Hey, Dweez, you want to drink this alcohol I got from college? And I was like, I don't know, man, what do you got? And he's like, Malibu rum and orange, Bacardi orange. And I was like, all right, let's, let's see what's going on here. And, uh, you know, I, it, it was the two of us <laughs> alone on a, in a mountain town with less than a hundred people population, basically in the middle of nowhere, listening to Michael Jackson, number one hits. And uh, we, I tasted the, the Malibu rum and it tasted like sunscreen. And I was like, what are we doing? Are we, are we supposed to be at the beach right now? Like I'm confused. And uh, yeah, long story short, a couple shots later, I was like running around upside down on the stairs, like losing my mind. Cause I was just like, whoa. And if people haven't picked it up by now, substances really affect this guy. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to tonight because who knows? I mean, there was a period where I could like drink with like regular person. And that period is sort of sailed because of, I don't know. I don't know why it just, it's hard for me to drink. Like I'll, even on the pod, sometimes I'll sit there and like stare at my drink. Like I really want this to go in my body, but it's not going, but I've, I've cleared my schedule. I've made time for tonight and I am ready for these eight samples. But before that, there's only one other person we have not heard his first recreational drinking story from, and that is the man below me on the screen. Jonathan, when, when did you start being like, oh wait, booze, fun, the, yes, let's do it. I think like most young people, my experience with alcohol was simply an attempt to consume as much of it as possible while it tasting as little like alcohol as possible. Uh, which is, of course, a horribly irresponsible way to drink. But I think that's how many of us, especially uh, in the United States or, you know, I mean, that's sort of our exposure to alcohol is in a very hedonistic kind of way. And so uh, I think my first time I remember I was 14 years old and I was working and living on Catalina Island uh, at a summer camp there. It was a Boy Scout summer camp. Uh, and I was a manager at the camp store. You can see I've, I've come far in life. Um, and I remember we had one night off a week when uh, the last week of campers would head back to the mainland. And then the next morning, the next set of campers would come out. So we had sort of this one night a week in which everyone would go crazy. And we'd go down to the I, the Isthmus at the island there, two harbors on Catalina. Uh, and you'd find, you know, some homeless guy or whomever to like buy us a bottle of alcohol. And it was a bottle of Bacardi Puerto Rico gold. I'll never forget that. <laughs> um, and so we decided we were going to drink this bottle and hike back to camp, uh, which was about a five, six mile hike down this road. And so we start down the road and we're just sort of passing the bottle around and doing shots. Um, and at 14 years old, you, you drink far more than you can handle because you have no idea what you're doing. So, I mean, about a mile in, the four of us had finished this bottle for people who, you know, had never drank more than one drink in our life. Uh, and I was the only person to make it back to the camp. I don't really remember most of it, but I just remember putting one foot in front of the other and just having that kind of like solo minded drunken determination. And I remember making it back and I passed out in my bed and I thought I made it back. No big deal. Uh, lo and behold, the other three guys didn't make it back. One of the camp directors was driving back on that road, found them passed out in the middle of the road. One guy wearing the other guy's pants, one guy wearing no pants, and they were all just like in this pile of, of vomit and, and, you know, it was terrible. So they got in big trouble and dragged down to the head director's house and there was this whole big hoopla about it. And somehow I slept through the entirety of that until my name got slipped out by someone at the very end. 
And then I was rudely awoken and dragged down. And uh, we had to clean out the camp latrines for the next three weeks at six o'clock in the morning was our punishment. And that was my first time ever like recreationally drinking. No one had to get punished quite like this man had to get punished for that first go around. I'll tell you what, keep cleaning out some latrines, man. Whoo-wee. Yeah, I mean, you can we... imagine what a few hundred, you know, eight to 15 year old boys do to an outhouse. Oh, it was not a glorious thing. And that sounds terrible. The no, um, the no pants, the no pants stands though. You know, you were you were saved from that. You you made it up there. The real trooper, the real heavyweight. There's a great amount of respect in our in our culture for for the the tanks, the tanks in our life. And John, we we talked about a little bit about um, the ghost of girlfriends past and the ghost of dr- drinks past. But now, can you uh, can you just set the table? Dweez has mentioned the eight vials. Uh, in front of us right now, but can you set the table of what we're going to go through, the journey we're going to go through um, today with these these little? Uh, what, what's the right unit of measurement? Is are these schnapps? Is that a wrong uh, so, way to talk about uh, it? Uh, schnapps is the German word for a liqueur. Um, so these would be what are called fifty ml bottles. Our airplane bottles is kind of like the the lingo for them, but they're just those teeny little bottles that I. Uh, emptied, cleaned out, and filled with eight different whiskeys for you guys. So uh, the theme tonight is going to be winter whiskeys, right? Happy holidays to everybody. So uh, we are going to go through a little bit of a journey within the world of alcohol, specifically through the medium of whiskey, and kind of take ourselves through a category that I think lots of people are dying to get into, but not many people really understand. And this is something that I come across all the time, having you know spent two decades in this industry, is that people love alcohol, but they have no idea what it is. There are brands that they tend to gravitate towards, and we tend to be so very brand focused that we often don't even know what's inside the bottle that we're drinking. So sort of my personal mission in this particular field of work has been to take on kind of an education role and teach people about it. So in my current position and in previous positions I've held, I educate sales forces about alcohol. And so we teach classes on, on anything you could possibly think of in the world of alcohol. So tonight we're going to kind of tie a couple of those themes into specifically just the world of whiskey, what it is, where it comes from, how it's made. And so you guys have eight different samples in front of you. Now, mind you, that's, that's eight fifty milliliter bottles, right? So you're looking at 400 ml there, um, a whole bottle is 750 ml. So please don't drink the whole thing. Uh, you'll have drank more than half a bottle of whiskey and that's, that's no recipe for, for any kind of fun. So. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Slim is saying this. I want the listeners to know Slim is saying this with the golden gate bridge background now uh, in inside of his zoom call. We've never used backgrounds uh, in our calls before. And I think there's something about tonight that just feels festive. That just feels like we're going on a journey that just feels magical. And Jonathan, I can't tell you, how much the what looks like several hundred bottles of whiskey behind you and other alcohols, of course, uh, just look like you are just sitting on a mountain of, of knowledge, of alcoholic knowledge, of tour guidance, of brilliance. Um, you know, in the world of tea, we have a ton of people who think they know everything about tea. They know exactly all, all the things about it. And actually, they're just wrong. But in this case, you have people, like you said, and they hate tea, of course. And then th- in this case, you've, we've got the opposite, um, where people love alcohol, like we love alcohol, and we uh, also don't know what the hell is going on, and we're really excited to find out. So should we, uh, y- you, give us, you give us the word. You shoot the starting gate. You tell us 
how much of this to this number one to try. First of all, I also saw this is a clear bottle. So when he mm-hmm. tells me this is a clear whiskey, I am already ready to get schooled. So, I, I mean, I think it's, it's sort of something we should preface by saying, like, let's start and, and kind of set the scene for all of it. Uh, and, and then we'll kind of dive into it. But if we're talking about knowing it all with regards to alcohol, I mean, I think the first thing to say before anyone begins on any journey and learning about any kind of adult beverage is to really just realize that you're never going to know it all. It's absolutely impossible. Fermented beverage as a drink has been around longer than civilization. It has a history that is steeped in virtually every single culture in this world. And there's no way you'll ever know it all, experience it all, or taste it all. There are enough bottles of wine in the shop that I work at to drink a different bottle of wine every night for 25 years. There is enough wine sold in the United States that if you were to drink one bottle of every different label that's taxed and licensed for sale in the United States, you'd have to drink about 300 bottles a day for 80 lifetimes just to try every single different wine that's released in one calendar year in the United States. So there is never anyone ever in the history of the world that has ever tried it all, knows it all, and has experienced it all. So one of the most like humbling things about working in this industry is that you are forever in this sea of ignorance. And unless you can just kind of sit on the bow of the ship, shake your fist at the storm and enjoy that ride, like you're always going to be overwhelmed by how much there is to know. And that's kind of the beauty and the agony of it. But that's something that I find very fascinating. It kind of keeps the industry always fresh for me. Can I just wait? I just need to interject yes. real quick. I just need to interject. <clears throat> um, we're gonna we're gonna put the names of these whiskeys in the show notes, just based on what I'm already hearing out of Jonathan. Do yourself a favor and just go get some of these whiskeys and try them along with us uh, as you listen to this episode. Because I honestly have a feeling this is gonna be. I've I've done a few alcohol tastings in my life. I have a feeling this is gonna be the best one by far. And let's face it. You guys aren't doing shit, all right? You're stuck at home in quarantine. It's probably Christmas for all I know. You guys aren't doing nothing. Come on this journey with us because I can already tell the way this man's talking, the way he's putting down the knowledge. It's going to be real. One beverage lover to another. Go get, pause the episode right now. Go to the liquor store or go online. Find some of these, some of the alcohols in the show notes and then drink with us because this is going to be an adventure and don't drive. Okay, Jonathan. I'm just over here enjoying the shit out of, like seeing Dweez's face light up as he listens to Jonathan talk about alcohol. He's got facts. He's got you facts. I've got, see, I've, got like... one, I've got one tea fact, which is I'm just like, it's the second most consumed beverage in the world. And then that's all I say. But like Jonathan literally Dweez's face that. while listening to Jonathan was like opening up his first like Playboy. He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All I, right. I, I, you got to respect a man who knows his, his, no. his liquid we're we're starting with the bottle mark number one is a clear whiskey and like you said already i'm just like yo what the fuck is going on and why is my dog being annoying in the background because he's as excited as we are so go ahead um um crack crack flask number one although i will advise you to be very very cautious with what you have in bottle number one um so where does the world of whiskey start well the world of whiskey starts with the first people to distill beer into hard alcohol. 
right? And for some people that might sound a little bit Greek. So we'll back that up a sec. So every single drop of alcohol that exists in every single liquor store in the world starts with fermentation, right? Fermentation is where any kind of simple sugar is in a liquid form. And these little single celled organisms yeast get in there and can eat that sugar. And when this organism yeast eats that sugar, two things happen. It expels a liquid and it expels a gas. That gas is carbon dioxide and that liquid is alcohol. So it's important to realize that every time you have a sip of any fermented beverage, that the alcohol inside that is the urine of another animal and the refreshing effervescence coming out of it is its flatulence. And that is where, where all alcohol begins. So your fancy $200 bottle of champagne as those bubbles prickle your nose, that's little yeast farts that are coming up and prickling your nose there. And that delightful buzz you're getting is from your body being intoxicated by that animal's urine. So it's a beautiful way to start a very erudite and sophisticated journey here into this adult beverage. You're making yep. Dweez yep. so horny with your words right now. <laughs> He's so hard right now through through the words yeah, you were speaking. Hey, take it easy, Slip. Take it easy. Uh, you know, I just want to say, hey, listeners, if you have not yet paused this episode to go get your liquor and come on this journey with us, this guy is laying out the brick road for you. Come along this journey. He's going to deliver <laughs> some knowledge. He's going to deliver some facts. You're going to try some things. Uh, let's Let's try this. So go ahead and take a sip. What you have here is the very first ancient form of whiskey. So it is without the aging process. It is simply taking grains and distilling that into alcohol. So, So you've taken some kind of grain, barley, corn, rye, wheat, whatever it is. You've mashed it up, you've mixed it with water, you've heated it up, you've, you've fermented it so that it's bubbled and it's turned into like a very crude form of beer. Now you wanna separate all the alcohol out of that beer. So you warm it up to about 200 degrees until the alcohol evaporates off, but all the liquid and material stays behind. And you put a big hood on top of that, you cool that steam that comes off it and you've distilled, you've concentrated the alcohol out from the center. So the very first people to think about doing that with grains were the Irish. So you have fermented beverages existing all over the world. Fermentation dates back as far as we know, around 13,000 years, uh, about 11,000 years uh, in before the common era is the oldest known vessel of alcohol ever found, which is in modern day Israel. But to think about how many thousands of years that is before civilization before any known major religion. I mean, alcohol played such an essential part of prehistoric man's life. This was the cure to starvation. It was the cure to dysentery. It's no surprise that the very first civilizations ever established chose places where fruit naturally grew to make fruit wines. And the very first thing that they ever planted were grains for the production of beer. The oldest written document man ever recorded when we realized that painting something in blood on a wall was just not permanent enough, we needed something carved in stone. The first ever written thing is a recipe for making beer, the essential ingredient in making whiskey. So whiskey is really just essentially drawn from the very heart within of the most ancient written document mankind ever had. So you have this fermented beverage of fermented grains that exist in Ireland. Then you have the Moorish invasion that comes through the Mediterranean, finds its way into Spain, and the Spaniards were the first to take their wine and put it through this perfume machine. 
and concentrate out this alcohol from wine, which became brandy. And then this sort of trade followed its way up to Ireland. Um, so we're at about 1100 now, if you will. And that's when the art of distillation arrives in Ireland. So the Irish take this very crude form of beer they have. They put it in this machine and they get what you guys all have in front of you, which is an unaged white whiskey. Wow. Uh, in the particular case of what you guys have here, you guys have legit, no joke, Tennessee backwoods Appalachian moonshine hand distilled in an illegal still that was smuggled across the United States by a friend of mine who works for the LAPD. But that is legit, <laughs> legit Appalachian backwoods Tennessee moonshine. And you now know, bathtub water, baby. Let's go. Yeah, my my vision's getting real world. spotty. Let's go. Boom. So this is um, essentially pure alcohol, right? It's about 170, 180 proof. That makes it about 90%-ish alcohol. Um, it's incredibly strong. Uh, it's not particularly palatable. Um, it's a very aggressive substance. And so this was the first thing they had. And they were like, well, this is nice and all. It gets you drunk. But my goodness, this is rough. And I think your experience with it probably mimics that, right? It's Mr. Boozology, I have a question. <laughs> I, I, I have a question. You're right. It's the the palatability is was a little rough, but it it did give me the same warm and fuzzies that I do do get with uh, whiskey drinking. Is this where where are we to are we to assume that the the first Irishmen who who uh, made this were um had, had kept on making whiskey because of this feeling in itself, or was it more something more medicinal? In the, in, I in, think in that's the that the experiential moment that you just had is connecting back to something a thousand years ago imagine their first experience with this i mean here you know what whiskey is you've experienced whiskey since you were a child as you mentioned but this is probably the first time you've ever had it in its raw you know unprocessed form so this is really your first experience with it and this was yet man's first experience with it as well too and you can see how alcohol was something so ethereal to people who didn't understand science. I mean, we really didn't even know what fermentation was until maybe the last 100, 120 years. So prior to that, they just have these, these buckets of warm goo sitting somewhere. And all of a sudden, it just starts bubbling. And it starts changing in its flavor. And it gives off aromas and gas. And all of a sudden, you go back and drink it. And it has this zing of alcohol. It has completely different flavors that were created by fermentation. You can imagine to someone who had no idea of the science taking place in there, they had no idea what yeast was or, or what function it was performing. They just saw this stuff start bubbling randomly and change into something completely different, something that was essential to life because it got you through winter. It was something that was potable and storable and safe to consume. You know, it cured the two leading causes of death, right, which were you know, starvation and dysentery. And so it was like this immensely religious experience to consume alcohol. And every major religion, both historic and modern, seems to have some influence of alcohol in it. All the ancient religions had gods of alcohol, Dionysus, Bacchus. You go further back to like Sumerians that worship Ninkazi, the goddess of fermentation. It was such a spiritual experience. So you can imagine something that has been such a part of your life, and then you find this new way to concentrate it and make something new from it. And what that was like a thousand years ago for a person who'd taken something that had existed since the dawn of civilization and changed it into something new, right? That's like a total different way of looking at the moonshine experience, which we often picture with like Dixie cups and 
you know, weird backwoods country people. Uh, and yet there's, there's a historical place for it. My brother, my brother, who's a brewer, always told me I'd go blind if I drink the wrong kind of moonshine. And uh, as I'm looking at Slim, <laughs> who's grimacing constantly, like if, all the excitement that I have of Jonathan's stories, Slim has these grimaces and just horrifying looks on his face, like, oh, that's of goo. <laughs> and, like, this, and I just want to say that I think the FCFC family is very much enjoying this, even though we're only one bottle in. Uh, and I'm starting yeah. to. Okay. Start. All right. So yeah, let's let's get the two. So, so where it's does like enough moonshine, enough moonshine, Slim. Oh, uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like it, like it's like kerosene. It's it it literally is flammable. So be careful. <laughs> um. So right. So obviously, this is not like a very enjoyable experience. Like raw moonshine on its own is is pretty horrible. So they said, okay. So what do we do with this? Right. I mean, we're not just gonna throw it away. We got this stuff now. So. The other alcohol that's being consumed in the British Isles at this time is all wine that's coming from mainland Europe over to Scotland. And it comes in these big barrels. So they bring these big barrels over. They empty all the wine out of it. And then they're like, well, OK, we got the barrel. It's empty. Let's put the whiskey in it and see what happens. Uh, and so that's where we advance to what you all have in glass, too, which would be that same ancient blend of grains for a thousand years. But in this time, we have aged it in wine barrels that have come up from southern Spain's Jerez region uh, and the Malaga region where they make brandies, uh, which is wine that has been distilled. So whiskey, beer that has been concentrated into alcohol, brandy, wine that's been concentrated. So they take barrels that held sweet wines and sweet brandies. They ship these up to the British Isles and then these empty barrels get filled with whiskey. And so you have what you guys have in sample number two here, which is an example of a pure pot still, an original fermentation and distillation method, Irish whiskey uh, that has been aged in used wine barrels that came up from Spain. Uh, so what you guys have in glass number two uh, is uh, made at the Jamison Distillery by the Spot Whiskey Company. Um, this is Yellow Spot. Ooh, yellow, yellow Spot. spot. Which is a, Sam, Sam gave a little shimmy when he heard Jameson, um, Jameson Distillery right here. No, because we I, I, I kind of felt like it had some like Jameson flavor to it. Like it has a little Jameson, like it's not Jameson, but yeah. I thought you just got excited because it was the first thing you've heard the entire time Jonathan was talking. You're like, oh, wait, I know that when it's really oh, no, drinking. It's because <laughs> it was good. It's because it's good. <laughs> I, I hear the the pipes the pipes are calling, my friend Dweez, as a as as a proud Dweez O'Dwyer over here. Are you as a proud Irishman? How do you feel hearing about the 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 mother country, the old land, having such a pivotal moment with uh, with this beverage that we're we're partaking in today? I mean, it makes me want to get out my recently acquired great grandmother's uh, Irish birth certificate, which I uh, recently acquired through the Irish government in the efforts to get an Irish passport, which unfortunately didn't work out. However, shout out to all my Irish kin several hundred years back. No, just kidding. Just, uh, I guess she was born in 1880, whatever. So everyone since then has been in the US, but yeah, uh, her brother is going to become a saint. So there's a little trivia for you. What? Yeah. What? I, Your grandmother's family. brother? My great uncle is going, is currently being canonized in the Vatican to become a saint. Uh, does that make you a holy man are you like holy descendant I, can you bless water now so his how does that is, work i'm sorry I, i'm i'm gonna learn all about it his name is uh father flanagan you can look him up on wikipedia he's uh he's a uh he started an orphanage in in a oh 
I, uh, Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. And uh, I learned about him growing up a little bit, but I'm like, who the hell is that? And then lo and behold, he's going to become, but I'm digressing here. I want to get back to what Johnson's talking about. So there's whiskey in my glass, whiskey from the uh, wine barrels in Jameson Distillery, which I've been to once in the old dub in the old mother country of Dublin, but I've never had a whiskey that tastes quite like this. So this is kind of interesting. I do, I do get some whiny vibes out of this though. Yeah. I mean, so it's uh, 12 years. I mean, so no, no short amount of time, 12 years in wine barrels. So you're definitely going to get a little bit of that kind of sweet white wine and sweet red wine characteristic to it. Cause that's primarily the barrels used here. So those like apricots and nectarines and honeysuckle of the sweet white wine. And yet those like dried reduced fruit compote flavors from the red wine and some of that spice from the barrel itself, which imparts a lot of flavor as well too, which is where you get like those layers of baking spice that are nuanced in there as well too. Um, but this is really good stuff. Really good stuff. This is uh, not just your regular Jameson, uh, aged much longer, um, more prestigious process. Um, and that's really the next step in the journey of alcohol, though, is, is we've changed a little bit how we make it in some cases. So the original machine where you just kind of warm up your liquid and cool the vapors off is what we call a pot still. And that's how most of your premium alcohol is made. But there's also another machine, a more industrial machine called a column or continuous still that basically makes pure alcohol at 100%. It's really like 99.8, 99.9% alcohol. And then they just water it back to 40% and age it. And it makes a much more neutral spirit, which is basically what vodka is on your shelf. Vodka is made in that method where they make pure alcohol and then water it back. So all vodka, no matter what it's made from, is essentially the same before they add the specific water and nuances and flavors to it. But in the case of whiskey, they do the same thing as well, too. And then they'll mix that together with some of the original method whiskey, and you'll create some of your bigger production styles to it. So when you're wandering a normal bar anywhere in America, and you see all of those recognizable brands of whiskey, many of them are made in a completely different method that's much cheaper. It's much larger production. And so it's totally different from the artisanal path that would have been the history of whiskey, the origin of whiskey, like we tried in sample two but can still be very enjoyable when it's done right. And that's kind of what you guys have in glass number three. So this is an example of a whiskey that's made in both the big machine that cranks out pure alcohol and blending that in with some of the small machine that makes it one batch at a time. And by doing that, you make a much lighter, cleaner, more delicate, easy drinking expression of whiskey. And that would be any whiskey that's made in a column or continuous still. So if it doesn't say that it's pure pot still or small batch or something like that on the label, you can kind of assume that it's made in one of these big machines. Now that doesn't mean it's of low quality. That just means there's a, probably a much larger level of production to it. Um, and they're just looking for a more delicate and consistent style. So what you guys have in glass or sample three here uh, is another Irish whiskey. So we're talking the same base ingredients, same region. So we're trying to eliminate a lot of the variables here. And we're just going to look at the difference between artisanal batch process aged in fancy wine barrels and a more industrial bulk process aged in used American bourbon barrel, which is a much more neutral flavor. Um, and because some of the laws in bourbon we'll get to in a second with bourbon, uh, they have to use new barrels to make bourbon. And the rest of the world says, well, that's silly. And they buy up all those once used barrels and they reuse them for decades. So that's what you have uh, in sample three here, which is just a traditional blended Irish whiskey. So this would be the same thing you'd find on your shelves by 
Jameson or Bushmills or any of those other famous brands. This one happens to be made uh, by Kilburn. Kilburn. So Kilburn. Kilburn. Which is just like what you would use for making classic whiskey cocktails. Uh, you know, drop it in some Guinness, pour it over ice, slam it on Patty's Day and don't think twice, you know, throw a little bit in with the corned beef. You know, it's just uh, what most people think of when they think of Irish whiskey nowadays. Sneaking, it, in the flask, not- sneaking it into the flask in the North End. I see you, everybody. Hey. Dude, now, all I know is... Is just everything tastes better when Jonathan's talking over it. I know, dude. I feel like an expensive ass bitch right now. Wait, I, I, think, I think it's important at this stage. You know, I was gonna hold this information for later, but I think it's important at this stage that Jonathan straight up asked me, like, literally, like, well, what do you guys want to drink? Like anything. So this wasn't as if this guy, like, this is the only thing he knows about, and he just wanted to talk about it. Like, I just picked out of a random hat what we were gonna talk about, what we were gonna drink, and he's coming with this heat right here. I have a feeling if I would have said literally any other type of alcohol, you probably would have done it. But are there any weak are there any weak points? I know you said earlier it's impossible to know everything, but was there a category I could have said like rum or something like my main category, Jonathan, that you would have been like, uh, maybe well, let's not do that. I don't know anything about it. Tea. I definitely would not have come on here and done anything about tea. That's a quick route to embarrassment there. Um, no, man. Uh, you know, I mean, 20 years of being in the booze industry, I'm pretty comfortable wall to wall um in the adult beverage world um there are certainly areas of the world in which like you know some of the like wax and philosophical about different producers of ultra high-end wine i mean i'm just priced out of that game right i mean i don't drink a lot of those bottles i don't know that so that's probably the most intimidating thing being in this industry is you go to a wine event and everyone wants to talk about the rarest most expensive bottles of wine that they drink and and that's not really my world. Um, you know, when it comes to wine, there are, are some exclusive bottles that I like, but I really try and, you know, find those bottles that are, are made in an amazing artisanal boutique way that are a cool expression of their place, but are more modestly priced because that's my world. Um, so that's probably the one area in the, the world of alcohol in which now, like, I, I mean, you know, I know most of the basics of that world and can sell the basics of that world. But when you get to some of the super, super boutique, ultra premium stuff from like some of the obscure corners of France and stuff like that, then I'm a bit I'm a bit in my deep end. And I've been selling these wines for 20 years and I still feel very much in the deep end with a lot of that stuff um, You know, as a person who keeps and collects wine. Um, some of the new like ultra new craft beer scene. Um, is a bit difficult to keep up on because there's just so much stuff coming out all the time. And despite having a lot of creativity behind it, they're not always the most enjoyable experiences. Um, so I tend to avoid a lot of the really micro breweries that are doing some crazy stuff because uh, the vast majority of it is really you know underperformed in the execution because they're just trying stuff out. Um, so I don't pay too much attention to what's going on in the real micro beer scene as well, too. But aside from yeah. that, man, I'm here. I'm here for you. No, this is John, J- pretty amazing. Yeah, Jonathan, I wanted to I think this is kind of a good. A good segue to talk about pricing and, and why I think why people know so little about alcohol is because as we were talking about the, the wine people you're you're discussing before, right, the, the people who are really enjoy it, quote unquote, it's um. There is a certain snobbery that thing that comes with those who have like um, people like associate better, a higher class or a higher palate and all that stuff to the point where straight up like this conversation right now is the most productive conversation of my life on alcohol, period. Like this is like easily like we passed, we, we bypassed it in vial one about how far I know about alcohol now. 
but it really does come from, I think, um, especially when you do want to seem like you know your shit outside of like the Larry, the, 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 the legend Larry Friedman of the world who like pick a course latte and stick to the course latte and that's your brand. <clears throat> I think for us, it's like when you want to feel like you know a little bit about something and impress somebody, like it's a really scary universe to jump to dive into. And so what would you what would you tell someone like, I'm like, just, just like addressing me, like if someone's like, I want to know my shit about alcohol because I do enjoy it, but like, how do I not be snobby about it first? And how do I like not be scared about the vastness of this thing I enjoy so much? Yeah, I would say, you know, look in the words of Hunter S. Thompson, buy the ticket, enjoy the ride, you know, like just have fun trying new things. I, I when I was early on in my alcohol career and I was studying for, um, an exam called the certified sommelier exam from the court of master sommeliers. And it's a very, very comprehensive, very difficult exam I was trying to take. And I had all these moments where I was just like, it's too much. It's too much to learn. It's too much to memorize too many flashcards. You just, you get a bit despondent. Um, and I, I kind of made a commitment then that I would just stop worrying about it and just have fun trying new things. And so I set a hard rule for myself that I would never buy the same thing twice in a calendar year, never buy the same alcohol twice in a calendar year. And that was the best decision I've ever made as a drinker. Um, constantly exploring new things is the most fun about an industry that has endless options. And if there's literally more options than you could ever try in a hundred lifetimes, then why not constantly try new things and enjoy that refreshing new experience, right? Go back to that moment we had with Whiskey One. Go back to that man from 1,100 years ago or whatever that, that had that first experience and have that every time with a new bottle every time. And sure, you'll find things you hate, but you'll find things that you never knew you were going to love and you get passionate about it. You dive down that rabbit hole and you dweeze out on it for a little while and then, you know, <laughs> come back and like have, find something else. I mean, that's, that's kind of the fun. So I would say like the best advice, best advice, right? Hannibal Lecter, mother always said it's best to try new things. Damn. I think that's good advice for, for like all things. That's, that's yeah. excellent advice. Super I just think that I've never heard anyone say ever just this is the best decision I've made as a drinker. Oof. I just don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You, we're, like, we're usually obsessed with our mistakes. Yeah, but that's it's. Well, it's those are the fun stories. Those are the fun <laughs> stories. Well, I, I already poured up number four. Um. <laughs> so let's right. yeah, let's let's head. So um, obviously, the world of whiskey, just like people and cultures, moves, and so the people making Irish whiskeys in Ireland moved, and they 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 kind of spread throughout the world. So we're gonna gonna go up the elevator of intensity at this point. We're gonna head from Ireland over to America. So you have all these people from England and Ireland that come over to the United States. They show up here and they want to make the same things they had back home. So they were looking for grains to make a crude form of beer to distill into whiskey. Only when they arrived here in America, there wasn't a plethora of barley, rye and wheat available on the East Coast. They had corn. So they started making whiskeys with corn. Uh, and that leads us to what we have here uh, in sample number four, which is the quintessential American whiskey uh, named after Bourbon County, Kentucky, where it originates from. Uh, and so this is bourbon whiskey. 
Uh, not only are we going to be drinking bourbon whiskey, we're going to be drinking it from one of the godfathers and creators of the entire bourbon industry. Uh, so what you guys have here is the small batch limited edition production of Colonel E.H. Taylor's small batch bourbon. Uh, some very hard to find stuff, uh, but absolutely one of the best and truest expressions of Kentucky straight bourbon, uh, which is very different from just bourbon. Uh, which could be colored and flavored uh, when it says straight bourbon on the label, uh, you know that you're dealing with nothing but whiskey and barrel. So here we have the influence of corn being one of our major ingredients. Bourbon does also contain barley, rye, and wheat, but in order to be bourbon must be at least 51% corn. The remaining 49% can be any combination of barley, wheat, and rye, but that primary 51% has to be corn and it must be aged in the United States for a minimum of a couple years in a brand spanking new American oak barrel that's been blackened on the inside. And those are some very, very specific rules for it to create a very specific flavor profile. So brand new wood barrels give you like a ton of vanilla and cinnamon and baking spice to it. And blackening that barrel on the inside creates that carbony, charcoaly filter point where the barrel meets the whiskey. So it filters out some of the aggression, but it also gives you this layer of smoke and barbecue to it. that kind of makes bourbon this quintessential American flavor of corn and barbecue. Um, and, oh, my God. USA! Oh, my God. USA! USA! I'm the horny one now, bro. I haven't been this horny about America since, like, fucking 06, bro. This, holy shit, dude. I feel great. <laughs> Fuck, what happened in 06? What happened in 06? You probably had sex um, for the first yeah. time. <laughs> ah, no, nah, that's that's still a little early for me. So, you know. <laughs> but that holy shit. Okay, um, I'm I'm sorry, but like I don't want to interrupt you ever because I feel like you're just you're preaching right now, brother. But I wanna I wanna ask you, bourbon in my weird sentimental head here has always represented a higher class in my head as a certain higher class or higher level of alcohol um does that come from just this aid this very specific aging process and like how does the rest of the world view this american very very american take on uh, on whiskey that that has to be here and and where's this where's this class coming from where's this sentiment that i have that bourbon is this this higher form of of this that where, where do you think is it just advertising where, where's this coming from I think bourbon is culturally ingrained with this idea of sort of the gentleman and often like the Southern gentleman uh, is sort of where you get that vibe, right? Which, which is dangerous territory. Yeah. Um, but, um, but nonetheless, I think we have this connotation of a person who's dressed in fancy garb, who's got the big hat on, who's speaking in a more proper or at least, uh, you know, a more foreign form of English to us, right? And they're sipping this beverage and it's typically done by wealthy people, right? And so I think we have this idea of bourbon, but in actuality, it tends to be more of the common drink in the United States, right? When you look at all the classic brands of classic American whiskeys, the Jim Beams, the Jack Daniels, the so forth of the world. Although Jack Daniels mm -hmm. is a Tennessee whiskey, which is a little different than Kentucky bourbon, but whatever. Um, you know, I mean, they all have kind of this casual drinking vibe to it, right? The Jack and Coke, you know, Jim, you know, all the rocks, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I think there's two sides to it, right? When you're sipping something fancy like this, all of a sudden you sort of view yourself as that gentleman drinking that top shelf booze, right? Get a little right. jewel on you. Um, Whereas I think, you know, when we think of if I was to pour you guys Jack Daniels as the quintessential American whiskey, you would probably have a different perception of this. And I think this is how we get a little label focused sometimes because we're so label trained because we don't know the categories. We don't know the process. We know the brands. 
And so we think, oh gosh, here's an elevated rare brand. I should think of myself in a gentlemanly way. Whereas if we were drinking Jack Daniels, you'd probably think of this as a more casual Dixie cup experience, right? So I think in some ways that's, that's how we perceive the entire categories. We look at the label and, and we're, you know, we sort of shop that way. We don't really shop based on the liquid inside the bottle, which frankly is the most challenging thing selling LA, selling alcohol in LA, right? Is getting can I, people can I tell to you step your outside biggest, brand. The biggest, the big, your biggest villain, your biggest rival ever, Jonathan, is, uh, is Kesha when she says she wakes up and brushes her teeth with a bottle of Jack. Because I think that just, it, it cements... First, if it does two things, it cements brand into your your brain immediately, and also it gives you this vivid, visceral image of brushing your teeth with with whiskey. And it's uh, it, it hasn't been good, I don't think, for the whiskey industry, or has it? I don't know. Dweez, how do you feel about um where we are? And we're in the middle middle point here. Oh, um, I, I'm just I, I'm I'm fucking amazed, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I, I, oh, this is the most the least hosting we've done in a long time. No, 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 no. This is this is we have departed planet FCFC. We've departed the backyard, and we have gone. As I said, when Slim and I put up our digital backgrounds on our Zoom call here, we've departed into another place entirely. And uh, you know, I, I think that we all knew that Jonathan knew his stuff. We all knew that this was going to be fun as soon as he offered so kindly to send us uh booze uh, you know express delivery in this crazy time so we could have this pod in time for the holidays but no i, I think that um even as a man who loves tea and loves many things like this, we are we are sitting with a real expert here we this is a treat beyond what any of us expected we're only halfway through i do think uh it might warrant for me personally, uh, a nice little bathroom break right here. So maybe we should take a quick break and we're going to, we're going to get back at it with part two here shortly, but Jonathan, man, we are having a ball. Thank you so much. All right. So something to think about during the break and we'll come back with your answer. So think about, think about how you view consumption of alcohol. Do you view it in, in the Bacchanal hedonistic way where this is something I want to do to get zero to 60 faced as quickly as possible and enjoy that experience? And do it as something that, you know, I'm, I'm reckless in my abandon of, or, or do you want to be the person that, that sort of sips and sits and enjoys and, and sort of goes through the expression of the beverage before you and enjoys that experience or the experience of being drunk? Because I think those are two totally different ways to approach this and something that sort of ties into why are you drinking in the first place? Is it simply to get drunk or to enjoy the journey? Right. But I'll see you guys on the other side. We'll be right back with you. Listeners, think with us. You've got your bottles open. Why are you drinking? We're back here, FCFC Pod, live and direct from YouTube. Sam, we're here on YouTube. Now we can see how fucking much you make fun of me during this. Um, but we are here with our good friend, our brother from the North End, Jonathan Reimer of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. 20 years in booze. This is what we're, I don't know what we're going to call this, but we have 20 years in booze under here. I'm going to pour a little vial number five of our whiskey winter journey into my cup here. But Jonathan, I want to, I want to talk a little little footy right now because, um, and this is how, how 2020 it gets. I was checking to see if the bank was still doing COVID um, tests in, uh, in, in lot six. And so I drove past it and I couldn't 
help but notice, but the parking lot was open. So I parked there. I went and checked in the fields and checked HQ and everything was closed. And um, I eventually went over to the Figueroa side and saw that, um, I don't know how long this has been up there, but you know how they used to like, you could look straight into the pitch and the North end, but um, they have like kind of black matted out curtains now on all over the, all over the bars. And so you can't see anything. Um, and it was, uh, I darn near, I damn near near fucking cried, dude. I straight up, um, I don't know what it was about. I think it was really just like, I was happy to be near the place again. And I was trying to do a little fun um, Dweez takedown video of me pretending to be Dweez running a, a 100K out here. But I was just so happy to be, have my feet um, with some grass underneath of Christmas Tree Lane, looking at the bank and um, thinking about, you know, what, what could have been because this pandemic has been so fucking long that I've forgotten that away days existed and North End existed. And after wins, we go to free play and all that shit. But um, I want to ask you, Jonathan, like what's been your favorite drinking memory of an LAFC experience at the bank or at free play or even Christmas tree lane, or do you even drink at the games? Cause I know mixing work and pleasure is something that, um, if you're in the industry, it, it gets a little muddy, but um, what's been your favorite or do you drink at all? I, I uh, most assuredly drink at virtually every LAFC event. I don't know if I'm hundred percent proud of that or not. Um, and sure. maybe not always as responsibly as I preach, but um, you know, I think, I think, you know, touching back on, on your sort of segue into this, I think almost every diehard LAFC fan I know at some point in time during quarantine has gone to the bank and just had like that solitary moment there. Like, I mean, as you were going through that, I was reliving my own time. I sort of drove, I was in the neighborhood and I'm like, I'm going to the bank. Right. And I just sort of parked and I just sort of sat there in the grass and I walked around the stadium and like, for it to be such a vortex of energy on game days and yet just so placid now, I mean, just sort of the grandeur of all that, taking it all in, it's like a lot of forlonging involved in that, but also like a lot of pride, so many layers of emotions there. But, yes. you know, my drinking at games, like most of us, starts at the tailgate, um, you know, for Metro and down maybe sometimes a little before that. Um, but uh, for the most part, when, once I arrive at the tailgate, um, and then it's kind of nice, you know, a lot of times I bring something fun to the tailgate, I'll make a cocktail and, you know, we'll serve shots for donations when we're doing charity drives or something like that. Or sometimes we'll grab a bottle and walk around the North end and just, you know, make sure I pour it all out before I go in the stadium. And, uh, you know, so many of those experiences, you know, your first beer shower, like beer showers after amazing goals, like, you know, the, the beer shower is so much a part of it and the stickiness and it raining down and the sweat and all that. And like, the slippery ground and rails afterwards. I mean, it's so integrated into so many memories, but I would say, I mean, there's probably a couple favorite drinking memories for me, long bus rides to away days. I remember the bus ride back from our infamous San Jose trip in which we actually oh. took that place over. Yes. Um, Christian and I attempted a, a quote unquote shotgun pod where we were recording with Ray as he was drinking for like three hours on the way back. And we had like three and a half hours of audio of just talking to Ray about this is before he ever came on the show, just like about his history with football and supporter culture and LAFC and all that, and just drinking the whole way back. And it was so much fun. Just, just shooting the breeze with him. And then we realized we forgot to press record. <laughs> so we had like three and a half hours of content. And uh, the only version of it we had 
uh, was Christian's wife's cell phone recording of it because we had all been drinking so much we we forgot to press record on the device. Hey, there um, it is. You just had you just had a conversation. That's that's always the 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 fear of podcast hosts is that we 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 don't make conversations in the content, but you you did you did enhance in certain ways. You know, I mean, I think having you know drinks at the bar before and after the Leon game when we're all down in Guanajuato together and like you know that moment of being on our first you know, real international candidates and count, uh, you know, away day, like that, that was a pretty magic moment right there as well, too. You know, some of those, I think shots at free play with like defenders and those cats after we won the shield and just like everyone in free pay, just like ecstatic. And that, that's that feeling after having won the trophy. I mean, like that kind of stuff, they all kind of weigh equally. I don't know. It's kind of hard to rank any of those, you know I mean? taking shots of tequila in Guanajuato. I mean, it's kind of hard to say drinking, you know, Mexican adjunct lager on a bus somewhere in the five in the middle of California was equal to that, but it kind of was in its own way. Uh, in the moment. Man, those are, those are all, uh, those are all good reasons to be drinking. And I think before the break, uh, Jonathan asked us, what do you, why are you drinking or what do you, what do you want out of this drinking experience? And I think like, it's so, it, even despite all those different circumstances that Jonathan just brought up, I think the one connection that I make when I think of my own drinking memories with LAFC and non-drinking ones alike is it's honestly just about being around people in that, in the same spirit about the same things and connecting. And I think that that's one thing, uh, good beverages of all kind and, and booze is one of them can do. That's really incredible. It's really bring people together. So I don't know. I think that that's the reason that I, I enjoy drinking is I enjoy the experience of connecting um, sometimes at the expense of knowing anything about what I'm drinking at all. Uh, but tonight it's really fun because we're doing, doing a lot of both is knowing a lot about what we're drinking and we're connecting. So that's me. That's my answer to that question. I don't know. Spicer slim, you got an answer. Um, I think I, I have more fun when I'm drinking and I am more fun when I'm drunk. Um, and I do enjoy good alcohol, but for the most part, like if I'm drinking, I'm trying to turn up. <laughs> That's a There's nothing, wrong with, that. There's nothing wrong with using it as a social lubricant or just using it to get out of your shell. I mean, yeah. I mean, for the most part, um, I, I'm pretty extroverted and outgoing in general, but yeah, like when I'm when I have a cool little buzz going, like I don't give a shit if you don't want to talk to me. Like we'll start a conversation. <laughs> Ride some random stranger. You're like you're instantly fascinating. Just add alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sexy. Spice. Spice. What about you? Oh man, social lubricant. I just can't get those two words out of my head right now um, because it's kind of nasty, but also very true in my life as well, just as it is in the Sam's. And um, I think I'm, I enjoy it. I, my ideal fucking, we think about birthdays a lot in my world. I'm talking about, why am I talking about like the weird third, second person here? Um, I love fucking, fucking dinner parties. And I think my ideal thing is like, there's some fucking stringed hipster ass lights and there's cocktails going around and um, we're just talking and drinking together. But I think that comes from, Sam talks about this all the time, but like Asian people are awkward until we get like three or four in us. And I'm wondering, it's like there's something about holding a cup at a party, right? Like where it's like it makes you feel 
like you belong immediately without feeling like out of place. And um, there's parts of that in there. I think I naturally think I'm hilarious and very fucking charming when I'm a little buzzed, but I'm, I really want to maintain buzz longer. That buzz dissipates into something ugly, fairly uh, sloppily and quickly. So I'm trying to, in 2021, as I entered my 30th year in this planet earth, to walk in this earth to, to maintain the buzz longer. That's my campaign slogan, maintain the buzz. And drinking quality alcohol, because there is a very big difference in the chemicals you're putting in your body between low quality and high quality alcohol. It's not always about rarity and price. There's, there's different compounds involved if you dig into the science of it. And it is much nicer on your body to drink the good stuff, but obviously, you know, quantity. You're talking to, you're talking to soju boys. I love soju, dude. I'm with you. I'm sorry. It's great. But like, in Korea, I've said it plenty of times on the pod, but if you go to a convenience store, a bottle of soju is the same price as a bottle of water. Yep. Dollar fifty. Yo, but straight I mean, it up, is in but, LA too, but the water is just four dollars. That's, that's you know. this is this is correct. But straight up, I think um because we always mention Korean shit in this podcast, because this is a Korea loving podcast, is that um Korea number one mother asshole. <laughs> The ideals that you're talking about, about whiskey solving, the solutions it presents about solving both starvation and dysentery is what soju was for our fucking third world country until very recently was a fucking cure-all for the incredible poverty that the country was in and the incredible depression and the hard work that these people put in. And now that we have like the next generation of kids who are born into um, some approximate wealth and some approximate like there is some social climbing here that I can do. I'm seeing so many more new soju and rice, um, rice alcohol brands that are coming out that like talk about what the hell does, what can we change about distillery process to get more taste out of the same sentiment of taking care of our fucking most base needs that I see. And maybe that's just a sign of like advancing culture and society, but alcohol, the very core presence of it, solves our most primal needs of fucking i need to get to the winner as you said before yeah i mean um uh even the word spirit itself right i mean it kind of draws back on that concept of like the heart within right something at your very core being let out i mean there's something you know again it 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 intertwines with philosophy and religion so much this this idea of intoxication and drinking and being social and even just take a person and put a beverage in their hand and how it changes their posture, right? It's like putting on a funny hat. It sort of like washes over you and sort of changes the rest of you to morph into the character, right? Just based on that one prop. But um, speaking of props, why don't we move on to a uh, sample five, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is uh, the exact same distillery as the last one. Um, but instead of being a bourbon, it's, it's sort of the next step in the trail, which is a rye whiskey. Um, so we talked about bourbon being 51% corn rye whiskey has all the same rules, except it's 51% rye. And the remaining 49% is that combination of now corn, wheat, and barley, which always play a bit of a minor role for the most part. So this is sort of the next, next journey in whiskey was to start playing around and specifying with some of these grains where, you know, the Irish whiskeys are really blends of lots of different kinds of grains, many of which they were heavily restricted taxation wise throughout their history. So a lot of the decision making and how an Irish whiskey was made was not even really made by the distiller. It was really made by the tax laws around it and how to get around those. And that's sort of how they created their recipe and style. 
and come to the Americas where you can do whatever you want. People started experimenting. Well, with like, with the government's not taxing me differently, why don't I try experimenting with different ingredients? So actually your next two samples, if you guys are already well into your rye whiskey number five, where you can see how rye grain has that more combination of sort of like honey and baking spice to it, um, where it takes on very much like rye bread. It's got that very like hearty grain sort of flavor to it and all that baking spice, kitchen spice, holiday spice even. Um, tis the season that comes with that kind of flavor profile. What you guys have in number six is just the more modern expression, the next step in that, uh, which is a weeded whiskey, where in this case, 51% is now wheat. Um, so you had two different expressions of Colonel E.H. Taylor. Uh, you guys had the Colonel E.H. Taylor bourbon and then the Colonel E.H. Taylor straight rye. Uh, Colonel Taylor, one of the founders of American whiskey, uh, he is actually the grandson of one president and the great grandson or great grand nephew, excuse me, of another. Uh, it's the grandson of Zachary Taylor, President Taylor, uh, and then uh, the great grand nephew of James Madison as well, too. So a person who, um, you know, uh, raised in Americana, um, sort of bathed in it. Colonel, in this case, not an actual military title. Uh, in Kentucky, they often refer to people as Colonel just as a, a statement of prestige, not necessarily Colonel a statement of, of wartime. Let's fucking go. Shout out the Colonel. Right. So here your bucket of cluck it, right? Starts right here with, uh, with the Colonel. Um, so that's what we had. Two very, very historic, prestigious, rare, hard to find examples of American whiskey and bourbon and rye. And then what you guys have um, for your uh, last American whiskey here uh, is from a company called Weller. Uh, named after uh, William LaRue Weller, who was the first guy to say, well, like, why don't I just try making it with wheat? Like, what is that going to taste like? Not something dissimilar to the beer making world. Um, you know, many, many years ago in some part of, you know, Germany, uh, someone decided, hey, like, let's stop using barley. Let's start using wheat. And that's how they made the whole Hefeweizen, Weizen, Wit, White, Wheat, whatever you want to call it, style of beer. So someone said, well, look, we know we can make wheat beers. Why don't we make a wheat beer and make a weeded whiskey out of it? Um, and this is a very popular expression. Maker's Mark would be a classic example of a weeded whiskey. Um, but Weller's kind of the hot thing right now. Very hard to get. It's made at the Buffalo Trace Distillery, which is a very prestigious distillery that makes a lot of the rarest American whiskeys. Your Pappy Van Winkles and things like that are all made at the same distillery. Um, and so this is, you know, kind of a lighter, more vanilla clove, floral, you know, kind of softer, you know, think like angel food cake style, sweet flavors to it. Um, fun stuff though. I mean, and it's very popular because it's a little milder. It's a little more easy drinking. It's a little more approachable. Um, so this is uh, American weeded whiskey. So those are basically your three big kinds of American whiskey, corn-based bourbon, rye-based rye, and weeded the wheat-based. But they still use a little bit of, you know, rye, barley, wheat, corn in all of them. It's just what sort of dominates the flavor and the blend to it. Uh, and this is roughly the exact same whiskeys you'll find in Canada, um, but Canadian whiskeys is a very under-regulated market. Um, in fact, what it says on the label can be completely different from what's actually in the bottle. Uh, so you could buy a Canadian whiskey that says it's a rye whiskey and there's not actually any rye in it whatsoever. Um, so they've kind of lost out on this huge bourbon boom. And I mean, American whiskeys are at an all-time high in popularity and sales. I mean, all alcohol is this year. But bourbon's been on this trend for 10, 20 years now where it's just skyrocketed in consumption and prestige and quality. And Canadian whiskeys really haven't been able to ride that bubble as well. 
because there's such a lack of regulation within the industry there. So we're going to go ahead and omit Canada from, from our tasting today because uh, we don't actually know really what we're drinking when we're drinking a Canadian whiskey. And they usually tend to be very casual expressions of the same styles found in America. Mark Anthony, come back on the pod. All right. So, I mean, we're just going to keep the pace going, right? We're just rolling on to number seven. Slim is, Slim is lubricating over here. He's on the slip and slide sponsored by Jonathan Reimer out here. He's just going, going after it. I'm going. We're going to let him go because guess what, guys? It's a holiday pod. People need to enjoy themselves. I hope you're kicking back with the liquors that you've gone to buy now that you've looked at the episode notes and you're enjoying these with us. You know what's so funny is I can already tell, and I'm not exaggerating, I am going to do this whole podcast, play this whole podcast again for probably at least two or three of my homies that I can think of because I want them to be schooled on these whiskey things and we can just drink along. Like this is going to be something that I play, that I will replay every month or so and we'll just we'll just keep uh, listening to the pod because this is this material is evergreen, evergreen. Yeah. If, Bro, if pull your uh, listeners, see what they want to do and that's what we'll do next time we come on, man. Have the listeners pick anything in the world of booze, man, and we'll come back woo. and do this with that. How about that? I'll throw the gauntlet down. Challenge me. There you go. Pick, Challenge pick the man. Category. Challenge the man. Um, so uh, we've gone from the historical origins of an unaged white whiskey, moonshine, white lightning. We've gone to Ireland and we've seen how distillation, maturation in barrels has changed it. We went to the Americas where avant-garde producers with no taxation and regulation started playing around with different ingredients. But there is an old adage within the whiskey world that the Irish invented whiskey, but the Scots perfected it. Uh, so our next expression of whiskey, uh, we're going full Duncan McLeod here. We're going to the Highlands of Scotland uh, is going to be our, our, our next expression here. So Scotch whiskey is, is a totally different animal. Scotch whiskey is 100% barley based. That is the most expensive, the nicest sort of quote unquote fanciest grain to make whiskey with. So in Scotland, they don't mess around 100% barley. Uh, they malt all the barley, removing the husks, which makes it a little more expensive, something the Irish couldn't do because of taxation reasons. So the Irish left the husks on their barley, which ironically gave Irish whiskey and Irish beers its own flavor and profile and category in the market it retains to this day that was really just a tax dodge. It was never really a stylistic decision. The Irish really wanted to do a lot of what we call single malts, which are whiskeys made from 100% barley. And in the modern sense, we do see a lot of Irish producers making single malts now, but that's a newer style. So what we have here is 100% barley, but the Scots do something a little different in the process than anyone else with making whiskey. So we kind of got to go back to the very beginning of how one makes whiskey. So how you make whiskey is you take grains and you got to make grains into beer. Right. So in order to do that, you got to dupe the grain into thinking that this seed is underground and it should stop being a grain and start being a plant so that we can change the sugars inside those grains, those seeds. Because inside a seed is a lot of complex starch molecules and yeast can't eat starch molecules. We got to break that down into simple sugars first, sort of like a human being eating a cow. You couldn't just walk up to a cow on the side of the road and take a bite. Like it doesn't work that way. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to break that animal down into smaller parts and then you got to apply heat. You still can't eat it when it's raw. Well, we got to do the same thing to starch. We got to break it down into simple sugars by getting it wet and getting it dark, letting it think that it's underground. And then it stops being a seed and thinks, okay, cool. I'm going to start being a plant now. 
And the very little first whisper of a root will pop out from one of those seeds. It's called the acrospire. And once you see that little wispy first start of a seed becoming a plant, we have to kill it. And we do that by cooking it. Now, all whiskey throughout the world outside of Scotland is primarily done by kiln roasting those grains. So like your dryer works, it's a rotating drum that's in a sealed system with a heat source underneath, just like your washer dryer. So you rotate around so the grain doesn't burn. You got the heat underneath and it cooks the grain. Well, that requires a fuel source, which in Scotland is very difficult. Not a lot of trees, very wet, waterlogged area. There's not a lot of stuff to burn. So what the Scots have available to burn is basically decomposed bog moss, what is called peat. And peat, P-E-A-T, is like a few steps away from being decomposed plants and a few steps before it turned into complete carbon charcoal. And it's this black, brown, stinky earth, like when you're walking around a, an old lake in a forest and it's got that really black earth that smells really, really strong, like decomposing plant. They chop that up into bricks, they dry that stuff out, and that's what they use to then smoke the grain to make the whiskey, just like you'd smoke a brisket in your backyard. So totally different from kiln roasting something. So in this case, we have a highland style, so way up in the highlands where they have some very light plants and they have a very mild peat smoke flavor to their whiskeys. But you do start to incorporate this completely different element in the process where this whiskey from the highlands of Scotland, from the Speyside region, the most prestigious subregion of the highlands, has just that hint of smokiness to it. Now in Scotland, just like the Irish, they don't have a lot of wood, so they can't make a lot of barrels. So unlike American whiskey that has all the forests in the world to make as many barrels as we want, or well, at least so we thought a few hundred years ago, but in the more modern sense, Scotland doesn't have any trees to chop down and make barrels. So they got to buy up all these barrels from around the world. So bourbon barrels and sherry barrels and French wine barrels and anything you name it that's aged in a barrel, the Scots are going to buy that when that original producer is done. They're going to throw that whiskey in there to age it. So this is a smoked barley based whiskey from the highlands of Scotland uh, that has been aged in a number of different wine and dessert wine casks. And that's kind of the beauty of scotch is this ability to blend all of these different barrels together using a very premium expression of grain in 100% barley, treating that barley a little differently by adding this campfirey, smoky flavor to it, right? So when you taste it, it's got that like food cooked over an open flame, which is just totally different than anything one can do in a kitchen where you get all of those little bits of smokiness to it. And it takes on that vibe. And then you marry that with this sweet honeyed flavor of all these layers of nuanced wine cask to it. And you get a very, very, very complex whiskey to it. Um, and so what you guys are drinking here uh, is a 15 year aged Mortlock. So Mortlock is the name of the distillery. They've been around for 200 years uh, in the highlands of Scotland. Um, and this is a 15 year aged expression of Mortlock that was, uh, um, so 15 years in used bourbon and wine barrels. Game of Thrones edition, you forgot to add. I can hear the dragons it coming is. out of my head. Honestly, this, this is um, the first yes. 15 year uh, whiskey or scotch that I've enjoyed because I feel like for some reason 15s like are spicier than other like 12 or 18 or even like the 10 or 11 year ones, right? Well, well, why every, is that? Every year something sits in a barrel 
about eight to 10% of it evaporates away. We call that the angel share. It's given to the heavens. So what evaporates away is basically a perfectly exact ratio of alcohol and water. So all the sugar, the bitterness, and all the rest of that stuff that doesn't evaporate continues to concentrate and get more intense and more intense and more intense. And of course, after 12 years of aging, it's not like the same reduction is taking place every year because what's being reduced is constantly getting more concentrated. So it's not linear growth, it's exponential growth. So the difference between a two-year and a four-year whiskey is very minimal. But the difference between a 12-year and a 15-year is much more pronounced because of the exponential process of aging. So you get so much more of that wood spice and intensity that comes into the whiskey. And all the flavors that were very subtle in a 12-year are now assaulting you in a 15-year because they've just reduced and constricted themselves. And that gets even dramatically more so as you go up the age scale. Um, there's an old adage, like if you ever drink a whiskey old enough to drink itself, you know, you're drinking well, right. And, and anything 21 years or older is just absolutely stupid, good and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I have another question, Mr. Reimer. Far away, brother. <laughs> um, first off, you said this was a mild, this was fairly mild peatiness. Is that what you said before? Uh, so the smoke in this case is fairly mild. Now, if you've never drank a smoked whiskey, the smoke might seem a bit more pronounced to you, that acridity and bitterness and, and mm. campfirey smell. Plus, the water table in Scotland tends to have a bit of iodine to it, so it tends to take on this medicinal band-aid quality as well, too. That gets more pronounced when you get to smokier whiskeys as well, too. It's a lot of very complex, weird flavors. It's like foie gras, right? It takes a while to yes. get into, but yes. once you're into it, it's like the thing, you know? Band-aid is the, the perfect... yes. Band That's exactly what I was going to say. Wow. Oh my God. Band 80 is, um, oof. Uh, my thing is, uh, okay. The two things I've known from, maybe it was Scotch whiskey this whole time, but was the terms smoky, the smokiness and the peatiness of whiskey of a Scotch. Is that, um, can you go into further detail about what those are and how those separate and where those, where those lines are between what, what is what in this? So peat is the material you're using to create the smoke. So sometimes you're talking about a flavor that's simply derived of the smoke itself. And then sometimes you're talking about the composition of the vegetative material that makes up that peat. So Jesus. in the highlands of Scotland, yeah. where you have like a lot of dense white woods, heather, the peat tends to take on a very light note, a very floral note. As you go to different parts of Scotland, and in fact, why don't we do that if you guys want to go ahead and advance onto your final sample here, uh, and we'll go down to the most famous island off the west coast of Scotland, uh, which is the island of Isla. It looks like Islay, I-S-L-A-Y, uh, but it's pronounced Isla. And this is where they don't have a lot of those high elevation, dense woods. They have a lot of coastal vegetation. So as it decomposes, it has a much more pungent and aggressive flavor to it. Plus, it's right next to the ocean. So we get that influence of sea salt and brininess and ocean air. And the whiskey barrels get waterlogged with that ocean air. And it takes on this smell reminiscent of walking down a wet pier on a foggy day. And it like has this very oceanic influence to it. Maybe it's like the nori wrap on sushi where it's got that seaweed like thing going on, but it's also got this really intense level of smoke. Uh, Isla whiskeys are by far the most aggressive, bold, full flavored, and just over the top whiskeys on the planet. 
Um, and so here we have the exact same ingredients, 100% barley, exact same country, Scotland. And the only difference really here is, is where these barrels are aged, whether it's way up on a hill in the highlands or right next to the ocean. And then what the composition of that vegetative material is. And yet these two whiskeys are so polar different from one another. These distilleries are roughly the exact same age. They were both founded in the 1820s. Um, but this comes from the distillery of Ardbeg, uh, which is on the island of Isla. Um, and our final expression today is going to be Ardbeg Distillery's Korvireken. So Korvireken is the name of the whiskey, uh, which is named after the famous whirlpool. Uh, just off the coast of Scotland, which is where the whole myth about the edge of the world comes from. Let's fucking um, go. It's a whirlpool that's like 30 feet deep, 200 feet wide. Um, and it, uh, you know, the whole people sailing off the edge of the world, this is where that that belief came from, from sailing at night and you would just fall off the edge of the whirlpool. Uh, it's the third largest whirlpool in the world. And one of the most expensive shots of whiskey you can do in the world is to go to the Ardbeg Distillery on this little island of Isla. And for an insane amount of money, they will fly you in a helicopter over this whirlpool on the days in which it's forming super deep. And they drop you down into the whirlpool and you have to do a shot of this whiskey, the Agbeg Korvireken, while you're down inside the whirlpool and then they pull you back up before it collapses. Fuck that. Dude, first of all, I just, before I even have a I want to commentate for the listeners on Josh Spice, who we've talked about my facial reactions. We've talked about Slim's facial reactions. Josh is over here just shaking his head slack-jawed at the things that are coming out of Jonathan's mouth as if he's hearing a good preacher just say the sermon of his dreams, and he's just like, this is what I've been waiting to hear my whole life. And now he's personally picturing himself at the bottom of that whirlpool playing, praying to the booze lords that he also could have this opportunity. Uh, cheers to sample number eight. This is, I can't wait. Yeah, this one is, I've, I've had whiskeys or scotches like this. And I call this flavor like drinking campfire. Yep. Oof, yep. And good. oftentimes um, there's a joke that's thrown around the industry where because it has that iodine characteristic as well too, um, people often describe Isla Scotch whiskeys as the smell of someone peeing on a campfire. Um, so if ever there could be a, just a, the sound of something so delicious, there you go. Um, Jonathan, do you want to, what was the name of this bottle again? Is it just, so Isla this Scotch? is from Ardbeg is the name Ardbeg. of the distillery, yeah. which is A-R-D-B-E-G Ardbeg. And then the name of the whiskey is Corvy Reckon. Uh, so Cory, C-O-R-R-Y, V reckon r-e-c-k-a-n and Reckon is the name of that whirlpool that's that's right off the coast of scotland um and so this this style of whiskey this intense smoky acrid salty expression of whiskey and then that light more floral style of highland scotch whiskey those two fundamental ingredients make the base for all of your blended scotch style whiskeys from around the world. So anytime you're drinking your Johnny Walkers, your Buchanans, your Chivas, your doers of the world, those are all blended scotch whiskeys, which is taking whiskeys from all over Scotland that have these various characteristics and blending them together to create a new whiskey. And then in many cases, we take these whiskeys and we ship them over to Japan. Uh, and most Japanese whiskey, now there is some produced there, but most Japanese whiskey is really just scotch that has visited Japan. So by Japanese law, if the whiskey sits there for two weeks, it can be called Japanese whiskey. 
So they load up all this scotch whiskey onto boats. They ship it over to Japan. It sits there for a couple of weeks and then they rebrand it as Japanese whiskey. And so the majority of the Japanese whiskey you see on the market is really just scotch that was bottled in Japan. Now, not to disparage the producers that are actually making whiskey in Japan, but there's a very small amount of those and those prices are really, really high. Um, they do two different kinds of whiskey for the most part. They do rice-based whiskeys, which is basically just barrel-aged Jinro at that point, right? That's your soju, just barrel-aged, right? Um, and then they also do some barley-based whiskeys, and there are some great producers of that. Um, and like this lowland scotch, they often take on that very vegetative, briny, seafood-like taste to them. Um, but Japanese whiskeys follow a lot of the scotch style in that they primarily use barley, um, to the point where so much of it is simply just scotch that has visited Japan. Uh, so whenever you're buying a bottle of Japanese whiskey, if you don't want to buy scotch, which, I mean, let's be honest, many of those whiskeys are great whiskeys, even though they really originated in Scotland. Um, but if you see the words distilled in or produced and distilled in, and then it gives you a place in Japan, um, then those would be the whiskeys to, to dive after if you're looking for an expression of Japanese whiskey, which is a very more, more modern sense of it. Um, as opposed to these historical whiskeys that make up the major categories that would define all of those various brands throughout the rest of the world. But the eight different samples of whiskey you guys tried tonight are essentially the base ingredients for every whiskey created anywhere in the world. It's some exploration of these flavors and profiles. So these are all sort of the quintessential building box and classic examples of archetypal whiskeys. And then every person, be it California, Japan, wherever in the world someone's making a whiskey, is some avant-garde expression of these principles. But fun stuff, man, right? I hope you guys enjoyed, right? That's, uh, dude, that's the world dude, of whiskey. Dude, 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 Wow. Slim, give me your reaction. Reaction video to your own reaction video, which you just made. I mean, shit, I just want to, like, carry you around in my pocket. So, like, if I'm ever dating someone... I could pull you out and you'll just make all the alcohol like taste amazing as you're talking about it. All right. Well, if you're keeping me in your pocket <laughs> on a date, just uh, remember, roll away from the reservoir tip. Yeah, I, always, always. I don't even know yeah. what a reservoir tip is, but I'm going to start calling my penis that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that Vice was man? amazing. Vice man, how, do you, how are you feeling over there? You are leaning back on your couch, uh, thinking about your forthcoming trip to New York uh for the holidays uh with a are you gonna bring these samples home with you and uh school some of your family members on on the the many whiskeys of the world i will um be a friend to the beverage industry and buy my own bottle when i get when i touch down to the east coast these probably won't make it onto the plane either so um because you're gonna I'll drink be them all tonight before. to yourself right now i think pro probably prior to friday night when it's my plane my plane takes off but um I don't know. I'm just, uh, fuck. This has been one of my favorite episodes, man, to be honest. Like, absolutely fucking honest. I don't say that often. It's, uh, it was off, not even off the cuff. It was, a, it was strange for us. And it's at the same time, like, I've never learned so much on a fucking episode before. And we've talked to some fucking amazing people and, uh, learning something about a practice that I enjoy so much. I never thought it'd be as, uh, as rewarding and fun as it is right now with my nice ass buzz. So that's, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Starting right. with that moonshine. I'll make sure you get that shine on proper quick too. That's correct. This is so correct. I'm going to, I'm going to be the one baby. To, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be the one to leave everyone with a question. 
while we take our second break and before we do a little little tea time with Dweez, which is um, which one? And this is for you too, Jonathan. Which one is your favorite of the eight that we had this evening? Oh, I know. <laughs> but I'll give Josh and Slim a second. Got to use the restroom real quick. We'll be right back with you. Tea with Dweez. Third time's a charm. Let's go. back fcfc pod tea time with dweez and for once i have a new sound for everyone here yes that is the sound of a can clicking why is a can clicking you ask yourself well lo and behold i had a feeling that jonathan knew his shit i have talked to him before about several things he's had me on the shoulder to shoulder pod and i knew that no matter what I tried to do T-wise tonight, I'd be outshined A. And B, I'm alone in my room with the digital background of a bunch of bamboo. And I, you know, as much fun as it is to drink tea by yourself, it's nowhere near as fun as it is to drink booze and other things with your homies. So what I decided to do tonight, as alluded to in other episodes of the pod, is one interesting thing about tea, especially like run-of-the-mill, go to the grocery store nearest you and buy a can of tea, um, is that it actually blends extremely well with whiskey specifically. And um, in China, when I was living out there, I can't tell you how many nights were spent around, again, bottles, bottles of tea, plastic bottles, oftentimes, or cans of tea, pouring that in with, uh, with liquor. And that was your cocktail for the night. And you just sort of go back and forth with those. Pretty common in Japan as well. And from what the boys have said, it's, it's common in Korea as well. So tonight, I wanted to advise everyone who's also listening to this, uh, we'll put this in the show notes too, go out and buy, if you want to try, you know, a kind of makeshift quick cocktail, buy a bottle or a can of oolong tea. The one I'm rocking tonight is the, uh, it's the Polka brand, uh, which is a Japanese brand, but this one's produced in Singapore. Shout out to Singapore. Shout out to all the Southeast Asians out there. I believe this exact same can was available in the Guanajuato airport when we were in uh, Mexico. So it's kind of one of those worldwide everywhere brands. Ito N is another brand you see everywhere. They have them at a lot of gas stations now. The Oicha, you know, you could get green tea too. I just happen to have the oolong. Again, these aren't your usual tea with dweez, Phoenix oolongs uh, from Tea Habitat, but they are widely available and they taste delicious with whiskey. So I... I absolutely love the whiskey and tea combo. I have done this many times. I have to say, I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed not to be having the backyard tea experience. Oh, you're you know, gonna have all... it in the future, Jonathan. That's why I couldn't, I couldn't want to do it digitally. It just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, all those lonely nights sitting in my room, drawing your names on the back of my notebook and dreaming about sipping tea with you. And I'm not flipping any tasting cups or doing anything fancy here. <laughs> I feel so left out of the FCFC experience here. We hold 2020 responsible. We hold uh, the coronavirus responsible. This, this will be remedied in the future without a doubt in my mind. We already know we're going to do more, more booze episodes. We'll do more tea episodes for sure. Um, but I did ask you guys a question before we all departed for the second break. And the question was, which one was your favorite? Slimothy, do you, uh, do you have one you feel strongly about? Um, I, I want to say number four. 
I think bourbon? number yeah, number four was the first bourbon. Let me yeah. actually, Jonathan. Let me before we before we do that. Let me just see if I can go through the order here. Number one, we had a uh, we had the obviously the moonshine. Your friend policeman smuggled it back, uh, made in the bathtub probably from Kentucky. Kentucky? No, it's made in a proper still. Just I know. Let me illicitly run still. Okay, K- Kentucky though. Uh, yes. Uh, no, I think this is actually from Tennessee is where Tennessee. Uh, is where uh, a distant acquaintance of his. And I probably shouldn't have thrown his name under the bus. The police are going to be knocking on my door here in a week. Um, <laughs> no, they're cool with it. They're like, dude, where is he at? So I want some. I want yeah, to- uh, he's out of uh, he doesn't do this anymore. He yeah. passed away regrettably, yeah, um, sadly. Um, yeah. um, but uh, no, this is. Um, yeah. So this is something that now you can go to any liquor store and find some moonshine but yeah this is this is the real deal the real deal uh, so uh, we this got the is real deal. straight up served out of a mason jar no joke yeah. the one the one you guys might not be able to find you can find a legible replacement again we're going to put these in the show notes so you can have an adventure of your own number two was the uh we, we went straight to ireland i think and it was the uh the the single barrel wine barrel irish i think you said the word it wasn't single barrel what was the word you used you used the word not uh, it's tin, yellow not yellow tin, spot yellow yeah. spot pure pot still pure pot that's what it was pure yes. pot that's the word I so was that's that's the original distillation vessel the authentic vessel and how all of your very very premium alcohols are made uh in a pot still so it's called a pure pot still 12 year aged irish whiskey yellow pure pot spot. 12 pure pot 12 Number three was our blended Irish whiskey made in the same spot as the Jameson distillery, which means it's a blend of a bunch of grains. And uh, I wasn't sure how, I don't remember off the top of my head how long it was aged. Uh, it does not have an age statement. We call those NAS in the booze world, which means non-age statement. It also means um, NAS, N-A-S. There you go. NAS there you Jones. Go. Shout out Queens. Josh is trying to shout out, but he has his mic on mute, which he forgot about. <laughs> so number four is the one that slim just said is his favorite which is our bourbon and this one means it has to be 51 percent oh let's see here not rye not wheat it, it was corn 51 percent corn over 51 percent corn for Fantastic. rye and then the second the next one same distillery rye it was general colonel e.h colonel. taylor Colonel E.H. Taylor, Colonel Taylor, you know him as the uh, grand nephew of John Quincy Adams. No, grandson of Zach Taylor, President Taylor, Um, and then the great grand nephew of James Madison. See, look, two two presidents in in his lineage. The third one was our uh, wheat. I think it was actually called a wheat bourbon, wasn't it? Yeah, weeded whiskey um, or weeded bourbon uh, from the folks at Weller. Weller. That one's hot uh, right now in the streets. Get your hips or mustaches growing and go look for it because you're going to have to fight someone who looks like me to get a bottle. Or seven. pay way too much. Yeah. Seven. Um, then, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, you know, no, you, yeah, had, you yeah. have stuff to add. You had stuff to add. Um, yeah. I mean, the secondary whiskey market is ravenous this year. So the price you should pay is very different from the price you pay on demand for some of these. So most of these whiskeys, if you just went to a store and demanded them, would be in the hundreds of dollars, if not more, camp. Um, but if you know the right people and you get them in the right places, they're reasonably priced. And that's that's the real challenge with whiskey is, is being able to find the bottle at the right price, which right now is very difficult because people buy these up and then resell them for, you know, 
15, 20 times what they should go for. And that's, that's the real challenge in the world. Be but careful, anyway. be careful, be careful out there, people, because number seven, I think is one of those ones that might be uh, resold. This, this one was one of the two strains of the delicious scotch. Uh, this was our Game of Thrones. Dun, 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 dun. Marklach. Uh, Mort which, Lock. Mort, Mort Lock, Lock. Which was a definitively less smoky uh, version, but uh, we also heard perhaps Band-Aid is the taste that we're, we're, we're getting in there a little bit. But I would say it was much more delicious than that. In fact, I'm just going to jump ahead here. Number seven was actually my favorite of the ones I had tonight. Um, and number eight is the classic Cyclone, the Cyclone killer uh, over there at the island between Scotland and Ireland is is Scotty McTominay as I've Scotty McTominay where where Josh Spice prays to the Lord as he drinks um, a shot of the cyclone which I won't even pretend that I remember how to pronounce Uh, so those were those were eight we ran through and we learned a little bit about Japanese whiskey we learned a little bit about other types of whiskey but Spice Man which one uh, was your favorite um I like seven as well but i also really like the first rye we had whichever one that was number five number five five. that's what it was yeah number five um number two was great as well because four and five were both good yeah i agree that when we jumped into the irish i was like okay i think the two and two to four two to three is like when like okay i understood that taste and i like i was like uh, it was a it was a familiar feeling flooding back but um Definitely when the rye hit the first time, I was like, okay, this is special. This is something I really liked. I, I necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily look out for. Yeah. We're going to now turn it to the boozeologist himself. Jonathan, which of these is kind of your favorite? So uh, all of these whiskeys are from my personal collection. All, all of these whiskeys are whiskeys I drink regularly and love. Um, so picking a favorite between them is, is a bit challenging, right? It's, it's like picking yeah. your favorite child, right? Um, because obviously I selected whiskeys I really liked to share with you guys tonight. Um, so all of these, right, are, are, are whiskeys to me that I think are not only archetypal, quintessential examples of the world of whiskey, but are ones that I really like. But um, absolutely 100% Isla single malt scotch whiskey is my favorite whiskey. So that Ardbeg Cory Verdecken, the last one we had would be my favorite of all these, but I respect that I am in a very, very finite cross section of the whiskey drinking community that likes those really bold, smoky whiskeys. Um, but so much in the alcohol world, and, and I don't mean this to sound in the least bit condescending, but how the human body responds to flavor is based on experience. And how much alcohol you drink changes the way your body physiologically responds to those flavors and textures and chemicals present. So the more you drink, what you like and dislike will change because your entire system of taste continues to change throughout the course of your entire life. So, so again, you know, buy the ticket, enjoy the ride, but the big, big, smoky, aggressive, bold final whiskey we ended with would be my favorite of this flight. But, but by a hair, these are all fantastic whiskeys. By a hair, I think that one's tasted the most like the black and gold universe. I could give it that. Um, <laughs> I have here actually in my hands a gold, a gold can of oolong with a little bit of a black, black text on it. This Take the background thing. off, Dweez. We can't even see what the hell's going on, bro. Okay. The green Jesus screen. Spice, I'm trying to have fun out here. You know, it's a holiday You can put season. your hand behind this can and it'll show up. Oh, really? Yeah. Nope. Or, or Wait, what if I put it here? There you there go. You go. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. There it is. 
this is a little polka oolong tea. I mean, this hold, is this is widely available. Titties, bro. This is actually the cheapest oolong tea you can buy at the Japanese supermarket. Go to Niji or Mitsuya near you, or to Tokyo Central, or probably the Korean supermarkets have most of the same Japanese tea products or any. Shout Japanese out H Mart. Shout out H Mart. California market. Um, so or order online and don't leave your house and keep the rest uh, of us safe. Maybe there you go. Too. There you go. Order online, people. Jonathan said it best. So what I'm gonna do here, uh, with my super sophisticated recipe for this, I'm gonna pour a shot of the oolong, and I'm actually gonna pick um old number Gabber out of the hat here. I'm gonna go with number three. I'm gonna. I'm you gonna love Gab. You love Omar, and I I'm love that. I'm a huge about fan you. of Gabber, I love and I'm also a you. huge fan of blended Irish because technically I'm just a blended Irish gentleman trying to make my way in the world. Uh, I, I also it. I also came from Ireland and tried to make. I'll something. blend your Irish. Whoa, I, I recently what? found out I'm much more Irish than I thought I was. I'm having sort of a, a self-identity crisis at the moment. Actually, my 23andMe updated recently, just like so many other people who had those updates go through. And my entire sense of, of self has been completely shattered by it. But nonetheless, I have found out that I, I am much more Irish, Scottish, and British than I was led to believe. So maybe this is, this is in my blood and I never knew it. Rhymer French? Uh, Reimer is a German Mennonite. Ah, yeah, yeah. Reimer. Yeah. Reimer. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I so, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, when you have I a name Reimier. like Reimer. Reimier. Reimier. Yeah, Remier. Um, Remier, yeah. No, I, I, believe me, I hear every possible pronunciation of it you can imagine. But um, it, it's obviously, I mean, look, it's my last name. Uh, it's something that, you know, you, you kind of bind with throughout the course of your life. And in fact, I, I changed schools when I was in third grade. And so third grade, I had a new school that I stayed in for all the way through high school with those same people. And when I transferred, there was already a John, a Jonathan, and a Johnny. So the teacher was like, you have to pick something else. And I was like, okay, well, you know, my middle name's Brad. And she's like, oh, well, there's already a Brad and a Bradley. And I was like, okay, well, those are all out. So everyone just called me Rhymer. That was my name from third grade to 12th grade. Uh, and literally, like, when I graduated and they read, like, like, Jonathan Rhymer, all these people were like, who's Jonathan? Like, people just knew me as Rhymer. So, I mean, it's it's been a part of my identity for so long. And, and the sort of Germanic Rhymer, like name to it like became so much of my youth you know i mean we didn't talk about it on, on on the show but my first football memory quote unquote is is watching uh the 90 world cup at my german stepmother's parents house you know my grandparents have been around since uh you know i was i was before i can remember and and watching you know the german national team play and having like that that cultural connotation that i was germanic only to find out i'm like 12 percent german it's completely like destroyed my world I love that. Fuck. I love that destruction of your world because, you know, it turns out, guys, just like the Adidas kids say, it's just about the human race. And who's with me? Okay, never mind. All right, moving on. Let's talk about uh, Jonathan's one California policy based on the fact that he lived in Southern California. He's got, he's got roots in Southern and Northern California. We both have some connections to the mean streets of, mean streets of Berkeley. Uh, my My dad's side of the family has been there for several generations right across the street from the the campus the main campus of uc berkeley but um that's where i like spent so much of my childhood is on that campus um must be something father, in the water up there makes you a makes you a liquid head um but go on yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. so um 
my father uh, teaches at Cal, uh, has taught there since the late 70s. Um, so, so much of my childhood was just me with a backpack wandering around the Cal Berkeley campus trying to convince 20 year olds that my 12 year old self was in school there just to mess with them. Um, you know, going to the Strata and getting grenadines and croissants and wandering around those beautiful redwood trees. Berkeley's such a fantastic campus. But um, yeah, so Pops lives up in NorCal, East Bay. Uh, you know, Rep 510. Um, so that's sort of half of my childhood is, you know, East Bay, 33rd Street, Richmond, like, you know, that's not, you know, I mean, that's, that's a little different vibe there, you know, East Bay, um, you know, parts of Oakland, stuff like that, where I was born. Um, and then my mom lives down in South Orange County, San Clemente. Um, and so I spent the other half of my life there, which is like this very, very affluent, upper middle class white area mixed with some of that classic old school California beach community vibe. Um, and Pedro's tacos. Oh, dude, Pedro's for sure. Um, I'm sure about 10 pounds of my body is responsible for Pedro's tacos. Um, but yeah, sort of spending half your life in NorCal, half your life in SoCal. I'm, I think I'm the only person that's like not picking a side in the NorCal SoCal fight. I'm like one Cal. One Cal. Um, there it you is. Know? I just don't see why we can't all get along from this beautiful state, from from Eureka to San Ysidro. I mean, we're the most beautiful state in the union for sure. I just don't understand why we got to divide. Let's just conquer together, you know? Right. Let's. Well, now that um, we've heard about sexy, sexy spice and uh, Spice Man Five Thousand and remixes of Spice's names and you know Slimothy Slim, we got different remixes of these names. You also have a nickname, which is Gringo John. Which how did Gringo John come to be. Tell us a little about the origin. Yeah, that, that um, name. I think, uh, you know, so originally my LEFC, my North End experience was one of anonymity, right? I was never, never intended to be a person anyone knew. Uh, in fact, it was quite the opposite, right? Which is why I was, you know, wearing a mask from day one. And it was always about kind of having an alter ego persona to sort of get away from life in, right? Um, and so, you know, I mean, obviously, like all of us in the 3252, we sort of meandered the North End, found a group of people in which we connected with, you know, and for me, it was it was D9U with the Ultras. And, um, you know, I mean, hanging with them has been one of the most overwhelmingly positive influences in my life. Um, they're such wonderful, caring, genuinely kind people. Um, and yet they also have a lot of fun and they joke around a lot as well, too. So I think it was you know, in the first few games at the bank first season, we were all kind of queuing up to head into the North end there. Uh, and, you know, on being six, five, I stand out a little bit. Plus I'm wearing the silly mask, looking a little goofy when I go in. Uh, so, you know, especially early on season one, you'd get a lot of weird looks from people. Um, and I just remember, I think it was, I think it was the homie Gordo, uh, the new, who was just like, he yelled something like, Hey, PJ Gringo, something or other. Um, and I, you know, I was just like, hey, you know, like in, in my terrible broken Spanish, um, you know, I was like, you know, yo no soy un gringo, yo soy el gringo, you know, like I was like, when I was just joking around and, um, you know, Selly, you know, uh, Capo Selly, uh, you know, shouts to her as well, too, our first lady Capo in the North End, um, you know, she just chimed up right away and said, no, no, you're not el gringo, you're ultra gringo, you're our gringo, you know? Um, and everyone from then on just started calling me Otra Gringo. And then it just kind of became Gringo John to the English speaking people. Um, 
and it's a moniker I have, I have no problem with whatsoever. Um, I have a sign in my bathroom that's hung there since I was like 17 years old. You know, that's the Pancho Villa sign that says, Hey, you gringo. And it's like, sign up for Pancho Villa's army, you know? And like, I've had that banner in my house and, and I, I absolutely adore Mexico so much. My time in San Clemente, you're an hour from the border. I've spent so much time down in Mexico, different parts that I visited. I absolutely love it there. And so it, it's always been a term that I've self-appropriated before LAFC and then was sort of ironically given to me, you know, by D9U and then just sort of ran with it. Right. And then obviously it, it goes on the back of the kid ultra gringo as well too and everyone just starts calling you gringo john and it's uh was not something i ever really intended it just kind of organically came about but i think it's it's sort of weird because people all kind of know me by different names right like people who know me from shoulder to shoulder are like oh hey there's jonathan and then like people who know me from d9u are like oh that's gringo you know and like people who know me from my online persona are like oh that's boozology right and so like i have like this weird bizarre multiple personality life within LAFC and to the point where some people don't even realize that those are all the same person. Um, and it gets a little, a little confusing. I did a terrible job of branding from the beginning, but you know, the whole point was never to be an entity. It was always to be someone who was unrecognizable and unknown. And then, you know, through the Mandy situation and so many other things that happened thereafter, people sort of knew who I was after that. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's all those people that just know you as, oh, that, that guy who's there with, with, you know, the special needs person, um, you know, and so it's, it's bizarre sort of how all those layers kind of intersect in one, you know, sort of name and personality, but yeah, Gringo John just kind of became the thing. And, and to be honest, I, I, I kind of dig it. I mean, I know you're not supposed to like your own nickname in that way. That's kind of weird and bizarrely egocentric in, in a way that you don't want to embrace, but you know, it kind of becomes your identity and you have to embrace it at some point. And if you're, if you're as far into your oolong tea and whiskey as I am, you also should know by now that there are actually four different people and he's lying to you. There, there's, there is four different, four different people. He's just, he's just, he's putting one on. We're going to have the other Jonathans on. Uh, we're going to have, we're going to have Boozology on in another episode. And after that, we're going to have Gringo. Just going to keep going. Um, Spice, I think we're ready for recommendations tonight. What do you think? Let's let's reco some recommendations, man. I think I think we're ready as well. Do you have one? Give me a second while I uh, work through this buzz. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go first since I usually never have one. That's funny because I usually choose you, and you never have one. That's why I chose Spice, and he didn't. I know. <laughs> That's I. I thought of it in during the break. Um, but I have been listening to um the Everything Store on Audible audiobook uh that's the story of jeff bezos and the story of amazon um you know just like today's episode it's you know most of the people that we know from the lafc community drink and it's been amazing and interesting to get to know more about you know one of the the side hobbies that come with being a footy fan um just getting shit based together um and in the same sense in this time of pandemic i mean everyone is pretty damn reliant on ordering stuff online. And um, it's an interesting story of how, you know, you build this, uh, an online store for books and now you sell everything in the world and you're a rich piece of shit that isn't giving back enough to, to the rest of the world, you piece of shit, but it's inspiring and it makes me feel like a piece of shit. Uh, that's not doing <laughs> enough with my life. Um, and yeah, 
Uh, it's it's uh, it's an interesting listen or read, whatever you want to do. I ain't trying to read, so fuck y'all. Wait, mo- of, motherfucker, like what's the, your uh, recommendation? Fucking Jeff Bezos? What the fuck? No, that's just, it's just it's a story. It's a story. I mean, I like in in general, I like listening to memoirs, and usually when you listen to memoirs, it's gonna be of successful people. And sure. who's more successful during the pandy than this motherfucker? You know what I mean? And that ball yeah, from- I appreciate the. Uh- I like the I Heart Huckabee's reference in there with the everything store. That's good. That's a great movie. Side recommendation. Go see I Heart Huckabee's. Side, side, side rec. Spice, how are you going to jump in and hate on Slim's recommendation? You didn't even have a recommendation ready. I don't know, man. Oh, hey, I have the, recommendations. I Let me ask you something. When's the last time you ordered something off Amazon? Uh, two weeks this ago. Morning. Okay. That's you actually- see, it's been 14 days. 14 days. <laughs> I did I did order face shields to keep me space, so um, I didn't know where else to get them, to be honest. I, I had to get some uh, nose balm for my dog because uh, his, his snout was drying out a little bit. You know what I mean? Spice, <laughs> Spice what what's your recommendation? My recommendation. Fuck, it's another tech company. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck me. Um, I just bought We already know about Pornhub, fool. It's I bought um I prefer Pornhub, but also I bought a shelf off offer up and I'm I'm big into it. I'm looking at it right now, I'm getting emotional because it's beautiful birchwood. It's it's just it's just so fundamentally me. Yeah, those whiskeys are hitting you if you're getting <laughs> fucking emotional over some furniture, my guy. Dude, you've go. gone full fight it. club on us. Oh my god, I'm here. I'm here with with y'all. Um can you turn is, the uh, can you turn the camera so at least we can see this this dresser you're so excited about it's that one down there the the low oh you haven't even like put it up yet you're just waiting no yeah i'm waiting i have to wipe it down and shit wow so this is like you're you're like seducing your shelf before you you know get get it busy with the book my shelf needs to know what i'm about before um, i put it up but um outside of that i gotta recommend my friends at the pulgogi podcast two korean american girls talking about dating and um dating on uh on on dating apps right now and it's just i don't know what it, what's what it is about them because i met them once and they told me they had a podcast now i've listened to so many podcasts of our of our friends who are like great shout out the new podcast who recommended a new um app for us that it's gonna be great for us but this Purgogi podcast by these girls talking about dating life in their early 20s somehow it just i i feel it i feel it deep within my it resonates with my soul and, all right um, so when i'm listening to it which one is the one that you want to fuck like so i don't get confused i'm thinking about that too and i think honestly <laughs> honestly it's neither it is actually neither it's weird josh is playing hard to get that's his strategy that's cute, it's worked bro. before that's cute. it's worked before this is, she, hey we'll watch right when we get off you like hey listen to next week's episode like i like, give you a little shout at the end and then they're <laughs> you know they're gonna be a little confused like oh he doesn't want to fuck either of us Oh I boy, you know I'm like, cutting this part out, bro. You know I'm cutting the <laughs> fuck this planting part out. Planting the seeds and throwing a little manure on that bitch. We talk about the peeniness of podcasts right here. The peeny podcast. Um, outside of that, that's that's my life right now. Um, Dweezy, are we gonna go you first or or um? No, or, I want to uh, hear Jonathan. Jonathan's. I want to hear Jonathan's recommendation. I've been eagerly anticipating it. I didn't know we'd get so sidetracked with the shelf. Yeah, uh, at LAFCS2S, shoulder to shoulder podcast on all yes. your know. Um, yes. Um, no, I mean, uh, absolutely, though. Um, you know, shouts to, uh, you know, the rest of my shoulder to shoulder team, Chris, Christian, sound engineer, Wilton. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Um, recommendations, recommendations. All right. Um, 
I'll give you, you know, I just watched the third day, uh, which is an awesome like horror TV show, like suspense thriller with Jude law, which is really cool because they, um, it's like two halves of the same story, but there's different directors for each half. So you have the first half of the story. That's one director. And then they sort of do a mid season break. And then the rest of the season is all a completely different director, but it's all the same characters in the same story. Um, which is like a really cool take on a classic like suspense based horror TV show. I mean, honestly, think it's the best horror TV show since you know seasons two or three of American Horror Story. It's is really really good. Uh, it's called Three Days Later, which is which is absolutely awesome. Highly highly recommend checking that out. That's a really really cool show. Before it gets on, are well, you um sorry? Before it gets on. Are you just a big horror head? Like the only horror head we've had on really is uh, Slippy before before you. But it sounds like you you know your shit. Um, you know, I would say when it comes to horror films, I'm not like that person that's seen every single movie and can you know tell you all the nuances of it and that sort of thing. Um, I I, I tend to like lots of different kinds of stuff, and I just found that particular subject material intriguing. Um it was incredibly well acted and cast and the writing was really good as well too. And I think, um, you know, the same could be said of movies, of TV, of alcohol. When you have people that are really passionate about what they're doing and they're pouring their soul into creating an expression of their life and art, be it in liquid form or in digestible media form, like I'm all for that. Right. And so it doesn't really matter the genre as long as it's not so commercial in its intent, but its intent is to be artistic, um, then I'm all for it. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I tend to nerd out on. But where everybody has copious amounts of free time, uh, I've been working my tail off, you know, I mean, <laughs> my business is through the roof. So um, everyone else is like, oh, we have all this free time. And I'm like, no, like I'm working way more uh, than normal. So I, I would say that I'm, I'm less inclined to, to try new things now because I'm just, I'm just so damn busy, but obviously not being able to go anywhere, like getting home and watching TV is kind of the thing at the moment. Um, but also uh, my COVID like obsession or, or, you know, everybody needs to find some way to pass the time. So I, I, started raising ducks and I bought ducks, um, which was like a totally random story, but now something in retrospect that I would absolutely highly recommend to anyone out there. Uh, they kill all the bugs around your house. Uh, and that was my whole reason for getting them is we had this cockroach problem uh, and I didn't want to spray a bunch of chemicals because I have a garden out front and I was looking at all these options and I stumbled across like ducks being the best cockroach killer. And I thought that was sort of a weird story. Um, and then I have a sister out in Utah that was like, Hey, I have a bunch of baby ducks. Do you want them? And I was like, well, that's just such like a weird parallel. Cause I was just reading this article about it. I went out to visit her and lo and behold, I came home with ducks and, and now I have seven ducks I've raised from babies. Uh, and I get fresh eggs that are the most delicious damn thing I've ever had in my life. Duck eggs are so good. I'm, I feel like, why have I ever eaten a chicken egg before? I'm, I, I feel jaded now that I was deprived of this my whole life. Um, and yeah, dude, my plants have never grown better. I have no cockroach problem and they don't squawk like chickens and make a bunch of noise. They're super quiet. So that's my COVID recommendation, backyard ducks. Shout out to Will Farrell if you were on that call. He also got ducks during quarantine. That was a funny story. Uh, and yeah, I highly recommend ducks too. We had ducks uh, at one point 
and one of them eventually killed all the others and it was a oh. bloodbath but uh until then it was great and i hope that Jesus no one's that really killed <laughs> but uh my record make the conversation dark please Hey, man, dark tweets. We went dark I gone, to tonight. I got. I could have gotten real dark uh, tonight, but you know what? I'm. I'm. I had so much fun. Uh, you know. So let's let's uh, let's leave it at that. And my recommendation for you guys will be. You know, we talked about what what Jonathan is, um, and I think it, we kind of came down on Spirit Guide, uh, which I, which I really like, and as a lifelong asterisks okay probably since i was like 13 12 rap music listener hip-hop head whatever you want to call it um you know i've gone in and out of different phases of that i don't always understand what the kids are listening to these days i'm over here with my jazz but uh i've always resisted aesop rock uh not aesop rocky aesop rock the new yorker and he came out with a record this year called the spirit world field guide which is a journey, both literal and metaphorical, into the psychedelic realm, the other, the other world, what have you, through several different means. And if you like stories, if you like rap music, if you like, even if you don't think you like Aesop Rock, which I didn't think I'd like Aesop Rock, shout out to, shout out to the boy Ben Grenrock, who's been on the pod, he was on the pod with Weiss. And this record is just phenomenal. I played it for for Slim and Josh the other day and he just goes in and he goes in and he goes in and it's relentless and it is it is the best rap album of this year for sure. I played Burner Boy way more times than I played this just because Burner Boy is Burner Boy, but uh I highly recommend The Spirit World Field Guide by Aesop Rock. And uh to our spirit guide, my whiskey uh blended irish is 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 running dry here the oolong tea mixture no sugar people no sugar on your tea mixtures uh we're just we're just mixing out here we're sipping jonathan man it's hard to express how much holiday cheer you've just provided to fcfc the two of us are all of our listeners the shoulder to shoulder listeners the whole pod fam god damn it come on now shout out to heart of lafc shout out to defenders shout out to well who am i missing Season pass. Season Part pass. Um, well, shout out to anyone who's made a podcast before or since. Shout out to anyone who's confused on this holiday, happy on this holiday, lonely on this holiday, uh, and just looking for a good time on this holiday because this episode really, really did it. And man, I can't thank you enough for sending these samples. We are going to pay you back in full when you bring it to the backyard, and the tea pod will happen. We are going to do a teapod. Jonathan's going to be on it. Maybe I'll do a tasting. We'll see what happens when all of this. Dude, I want to learn more about tea. Like tea time with Louise is like, Dude, turn the I'll... volume up. Like teach me about some twee. You know? I'll, say, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. This is the last thing I'm going to say about this episode. I thought I was a obsessive when it came to tea. I don't even think that. I knew I wasn't quite at the level of even the tea heads that I know. I I ain't shit as a liquid connoisseur compared to this man below me. I, I ain't shit as a connoisseur of most things as this man below me. This guy brought us on not only a journey, he brought us on all sorts of things. It sounds like I'm doing the intro, but this is the outro. And I'm going to do the same thing again for the intro because that's how impressed I am. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Breezology. Thank you, Gringo John. El Gringo. The Gringo. The man right here. 
God, speaking of Game of Thrones, I'm like a goddamn Khaleesi over here. You know these names. Yeah. Well, you, got the game, you got the Game of Thrones. You got the Game of Thrones. Uh, the Scotch we had there. Slim, do you want to? I, I, I connected dots. I didn't even know I was going to be connecting. Uh, by the way, far too much rap love on this show. We got to do a metal episode. All right, bring me on. Let's talk about some shred or something. We're gonna get. The, we're gonna get the I'll, I'll have nothing to discuss with you, but I'm down to because I'm. I mean, there's a lot of. Get, hey, rock. there you go. There's the next one. We need to be schooled on on the rockness of the world. Uh, that, that absolutely we need to know vince tried vince yeah. succeeded vince succeeded at times we know oh vince uh, was great but he's yeah. like he's like super uh like sophisticated in his rock and roll <laughs> like he was looking for all of like the classiest examples of rock and roll and i'm like no nah, man let's just get some like face melting metal shred going on oh, here, we're gonna, basically we're gonna me- he's saying that you're a rock snob vince and we miss you Hope all <laughs> i gonna- love you vince we're gonna melt some faces in 2021 uh, with some with some rock talk uh, for sure. Oh, I thought we were gonna send out acid or something. Like what the hell? <laughs> can, it, can it be both? Can it be both? Okay, Slim, why don't you exit us? All right, y'all. This has been another episode of the FCFC Pod. We appreciate y'all listening in. We hope y'all drank along with us. Um, happy holidays. West Side on all you hoes. Peace. FCFC FC 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 FC